Hey everybody, welcome to Throne Wretches Podcast. This is Eric Stahl. And I'm Daryl Scott, and this is the auto podcast that enjoys a nice Chianti. <laughs> That's take six. Uh, yeah, take six. Take six. Of Break my... for lunch, everybody. Yeah, thank you. That's a wrap. That, that was great. It's my uh, Hannibal Lecter. It's beautiful. You know, Anthony Hopkins could not have done it better. Certainly he won an award this weekend, but you would win an award should you have been out for it. Thank you. Yeah. Runner-up? Uh, is there a participation trophy in Hollywood? <laughs> I, I think they are now. Well, the, if the Oscars proved anything, it's just a participation trophy. <laughs> anyway, all right. Get through the rest of the show. Yeah, Let's yeah. talk about our sponsors. I tell you what, Daryl, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I work at Fort's Toyota Pekin, and Fort's Toyota has been a loyal sponsor of this show since the get-go. Here, here. Let me tell you a little bit about them. They're a family-owned small business located in the heart of central Illinois. The heart of central Illinois, they're in North Pekindale, right off of 474. That is 15 minutes from anywhere, as we like to say. They live the Toyota lifestyle, beautiful, functional, high-quality cars and trucks that will stand the test of time no matter what your budget is. Visit them online at toyota-pekin.com or stop by Forts today at 120 Radio City Drive in North Pekin. As they like to say, 15 minutes from anywhere. And, and honestly, in the Tri-County area, downtown Peoria, Dunlap, Bartonville, Morton, Washington, it's close. So give them a stop, uh, toyota-pekin.com, and thanks again for their longtime support. And we'd also like to uh, give a shout-out and a token of appreciation to the KC Law Office. You can visit them at clomorton.com. That's clomorton.com. KC Law Office is dedicated to an honest practice of law and will fight to get you the results you deserve. No matter what your legal need, you can contact Gabe Casey at the Casey Law Office. Click, stop by, give him a call, and uh, he'll be happy to discuss your claim free of charge, full of great advice. Casey Law Office, a modern legal practice dedicated to solving your legal issue. I'd also like to uh, say a thank you to Arena 309, Arena Esports. You can check them out at Arena uh, 309 on the Instagram. Where, where we host our last show. Yes. When we had the uh, show in Morton. Last week with Gabe Casey, we actually had it at Arena 309 at that cool, cool – what I, what I kept calling it. I, I had a name for it that wasn't hip with the kids. Yeah, I can't remember. It was Arcade Game, Park or something gaming? like that. Did you call it an arcade parlor or something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's like a soda fountain, but they got TV screens all over the place. I've got quarters. Where do I put them? <laughs> uh, it doesn't work that way. It's a premier gaming experience if you're into any kind of uh, PC video gaming, live stream stuff. It is an incredible experience. Uh, you can check them out there on Facebook or, uh, again, Arena309 on the Instagram. Incredible place. Yeah. If you add LED lights and a projection screen TV to stuff, I'm there. I, and I think if your f- computer fans have like a, a multicolor LED, yeah, adds to the cool factor. Definitely. Now, when I was sitting over there the other day stealing some internet from Gabe's place, the guy walked in and said, Hey, where'd you get that PlayStation at? Is it for sale? I'm Serious? Like, that's that's funny that those things are still that sought after. But Gabe has an Xbox, whatever the Infinity version is, the new one, and then the uh, new PlayStation. Those yeah. are still sought after, and you can play yeah. those games at his place. Incredible, incredible location. Yeah. And uh, we'll probably be back at some point because yeah. I do want to do some Forza. I want to do. Yeah. Some, I've never played Forza. Head to head is always the most fun when you play those is games. It? Anyway, I yeah. think. I think. And Gabe's probably going to smoke everybody because he's there like all the time. Right? So. Oh, you're saying he has a head up on us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. we should tie something like tie some weights onto his hands or something. Maybe. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> all right. Also, this show is sponsored to you by our Patreon subscribers. Patreon subscribers uh, are people who've taken it upon themselves maybe just help the show out a little bit. We do appreciate all those folks. Uh, it does help us get a little along the way. But they also get a little extra pre-show, Daryl. That's right. 
I mean, this last pre-show, the one before this, I think it was chock full of goodies. Was it epic? It was epic. There was man talk. There was man talk. There was was it, was it locker room talk? I can't remember what we <laughs> called it. We we've renamed the segment about four times. We but... have we have another segment called Beat the Dead Horse segment. Yes. That was nice. That was a, a wonderful, wonderful look through the English language. And then in June, when I get my head lopped off, yeah. you'll know why. <laughs> we call that the close shave. That's the segment, <laughs> close shave. The Mexican necktie that I'll be getting. Maybe. Yeah. But we'll talk more maybe about your your upcoming vacation. And you know what? If this seems like 2021 is the year where things are getting back to quote-unquote normal. But also people are, are getting ready to plan some trips, take some vacations, and get out and hit the road a little bit, which we'll talk talk about later on might be a little bit of a, a, a problem at the gas pump, but that's future oh, yeah, Eric's yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah, right. 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 We don't have to worry about that. I got right problems. <laughs> Traveling ain't one of them. You no, know. No. <laughs> and you're, fly, you're flying, right? You're flying to Mexico? Yeah, yeah before we start yeah. driving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. All right. Um, we got some feedback, actually. So I, I hammer on you folks out there all the time, say, hey, we need some reviews. Um, and what happened? We got an iTunes review. We did. And I, I would read this one by figure since you know the guy, kind of. Yeah. I, mean, I, I figure I'll let you have the honor. Yeah, it's a friend of mine I actually uh, went to school with, which um, good to hear from, Tim. And uh, we certainly appreciate that. The title of the uh, iTunes review is Entertaining and Informative. And that's how, uh, I mean, I'm I'm probably the uh, the informative one. Eric's entertaining. Oh, is that how that works? And vice versa. I, I don't know. I, don't cut yourself short. You're, Maybe. you're pretty entertaining. Eh, not really. Uh, the, <laughs> Tim writes uh, so kindly. I heard about this podcast over the summer, gave it a listen out of curiosity, know very little about cars other than I put gas in them, push the pedals, turn the radio, and it gets me from point A to B. That being said, I've learned a ton about the automotive world since, from past to present, and uh, both Eric and Daryl have a wealth of knowledge, and the format of the show is presented in a way where the novice can enjoy the content as much as the diehard gearhead. The two have a chemistry better than some major market radio shows. Hey, now. Yeah. And uh, it's well worth a listen. So, Tim, thanks for that awesome review. And uh, we want to say we appreciate you taking the time out there. We'll definitely send a couple stickers your you way. Get, you get a sticker. That's Congratulations. Right. We appreciate that. If anyone else wants to follow in Tim's footsteps, we truly appreciate that. It really does help grow the show because uh, it's – it's the equivalent, the computer equivalent of shouting from the rooftops that this show does not suck. Yep, yep. So, and and then putting the sticker on your car uh, will probably get less respect. But, uh, <laughs> probably, if your car is keyed with uh, that sticker well, on help it, preserve the paint. Think of it as a paint preservative. It might be. Yeah. yeah just, so, hundred views might cover <laughs> your back back you know deck. Anyway. Maybe. All right. We also got a great email this week from Sam Fiorina. Uh, he says here, it's. I think that's how you say his name, Fiorina. Hey, Sammy. Hey. Appreciate uh, it. Anyway, he enjoys listening to the podcast, which is difficult to say about everyone's automotive podcast. While most of them are boring and ramble, you seem to enjoy to chat and have a great atmosphere or a refreshing change. You mentioned your desire to have a guest, and you said you can't do remote guests. Well, here's the deal as we get into this uh, email. Sam runs an amazing industry resource, uh, Global Vehicle Forecasting, and he sent us a PDF sample of what they do. It's pretty in-depth. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's cool. So I don't know what what they pay for that as far as if you pay for that resource, but I would love to have Sam on the show at some point. So. No pressure. We're just waiting on the Scott family to get their uh, basement redone. Right. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've got high-speed internet, but that's pretty much all we have now. 
we've got that and uh, an empty basement that needs some some framing. And as everyone knows, lumber costs are they're super cheap right now. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get there, and we look forward to being able to do some remote uh, interviews with people. We, we've had a couple folks reach out, yeah. and we definitely have our eyes on a couple that we would love to have on. Yep. Uh, we just need to step our game up and get that studio finished. Yeah, so. so thanks for the feedback, and thanks for the view. Please keep sending those out, we'll, and we'll keep reading them online. Definitely. So, uh, does that bring us to projects? It brings us to about. All right. Oh, that's right. About our host. I skipped ahead. See, I'm, I'm working off paper this week. <laughs> I'm digital. He's on paper. And that shouldn't shock you at all based on the cars we drive. No, no. I've actually got my papyrus here. Uh, let's talk about our hosts. And I'm going to kick things off by flipping the script here and talking about my co-host, Mr. Eric Stahl. My next host is the – oh, hold on. Did I say – I screwed this up. <laughs> I screwed this whole thing up. Hold on. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, the pre-show was amazing. It was great. Just letting you know. You should have tuned into the pre-show. Let's cut all this out. All right. Now we're going to talk about our hosts, and I'm going to kick things off by talking about my co-host. My co-host is to Toyota service what Jacques Pepin is to cooking, (laughs) a legend of epic proportions. He has the experience. He has the expertise. The only things missing are a television show and a beret, and maybe he'll get one of those two things someday. He's the one, the only, Eric Stahl. Ah, thank you very much. Wee oui, wee. Oui. I would say you're my Julia Child to Jacques Pepin, but that'd be insulting. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Not really. And there's a better chance of me having a TV show than a beret, because this noggin, I don't know what size beret i got to get, but it's it's got to be large. <laughs> me it's too. All, yeah, you me and I too. have probably the same hat I size. I can't wear a fitted hat, man. <laughs> yeah. Daryl it's... and I have the same hat size, but I'm a foot shorter than him. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, if you don't know my co-host, Daryl Scott, this guy knows how to fine-tune a carburetor, and he can rebuild a drum brake, and he can wrap a scallop like a Renaissance man that he is. I said, Daryl, bring the wife and have dinner at my house. And what did that mean? It said, come over and help me cook. Cheers to the best team player and, uh, and that, I, that I've ever worked with. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's fun. Cooking's fun. We're going to talk about that a little bit, maybe in the projects. Actually, we can get right into it. Yeah, sure, sure. So we should talk about this on the pre-show, and it's been a big pre-show subject. There was a Serrano ham that yes. was at Costco, uh-huh. and we may have talked about it on the regular show because you and I got a little excited about it. And I think we talked about it two or three times in the show, in the pre-show. And finally, at Friday Night Lights the other night, that ham got down to $59. And Steve Brown, if you don't know Steve Brown, it's Cannonball Steve Brown, had said, hey, if that thing gets 50 bucks, I'll go three-way. We'll split it. And uh, next thing you know, I'm convincing my wife in the, in the aisles of Costco that we're buying that ham. And then I come back to Friday Night Lights with the ham in the back of the Supra. Yeah. And then we concoct a plan to have basically you know, three couples – Share the ham. Well, that wasn't going to be good enough. Next there's a thing, lot of ham. Next thing, yeah, there's a lot of ham. There's yeah. 13 pounds of ham or whatever it was. So we get Gabe Casey and his wife, and we get uh, uh, Jake Irish and his wife. And uh, I mean, basically, it almost looks like it's a Patreon pre-show at my house last yeah, week. Everybody had been on the show at one point in time, and everybody's just super cool yeah. group of people. But we also happened to just like really like some some cured ham. Yeah. But what turned into was Daryl walks in and goes, what do you need help with? I'm like, you're over here cooking, pal. I mean, I literally – he rolled up his sleeves and went right to work helping cook because everybody had to see the ham cooked or cut. It was like a ceremony. Yeah. Well, the problem with the ceremony is by the time everybody got there at 530 and I had to cut the ham, 
Hell, it was 6.30 by the time I could actually start cooking. And I had everything right. prepped. I mean, I had stuff laid out ready. You did, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but my God, man, it was like a, a flurry for the next two hours. Just cut, 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 cook, cook, cook. It, it was, was awesome. It yeah. was a feast of epic proportions. Yeah. Everybody had a great time. The wine was flowing. Uh, and, of course, if anybody has had prosciutto, that Spanish uh, Iberico ham is yeah. very similar. Yeah. But I almost think it's it's a little bit tastier. Uh, and it's just incredible. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that you sent me that picture from Costco, like, dude, they marked this down. Mm-hmm. And it was like <laughs> it was like a espionage photo. It was like through a bunch of pallet I did, that, I did that on purpose. It was I, like I, zoomed I said, in. Yeah, yeah, that's how I operate. <laughs> I, I want to make sure it looked as, as, it looked as, like, as creepy as possible. But, like, yeah. possibly I was, like, stalking this ham from across an aisle. Well, of course. Yeah. But it was it was worth it. And, uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. We'll do it so, again. So that's what those intros are leading to as far as Jacques Pupin and, uh, mm. and a guy who knows how to cook. Because uh, I tell you what, man, we worked our butts off. We had a great night. And so all that matters is that the wives were happy. And I tell you what, I think my wife actually had a good time. And I think your wife did too. So yeah. can't beat that. In the long run, all you guys know that that's all that matters. Happy wife. Happy life. That's very, very true. All right. Thanks for listening. Again, uh, share this on all the social media sites. We, I always joke, but I always do it. I share it on LinkedIn. I share it on Twitter. I share it on Instagram. Where else can we share it? Facebook? What about TikTok, Daryl? Do you ever pick up a TikTok I did handle? Not. Did you? Throwing wrenches at TikTok.com? Didn't touch it. No. I could I'm get so- that for us if you want. Could you? Sure. Why not? No, <laughs> I'm, get some I'm, dance moves on there? I'm so- no, absolutely not. The last time I danced was seventh grade, so 1991. No, I honestly, I'm social media out. I think I, I'm done with. I'm not. I thought about actually today, just getting off Facebook. I thought about it. I thought, There's I can't, no I can't, way. I can't do it, but I thought it'd be awesome to do it. There's no way you could quit cold turkey like yeah. that. I, I could try. You're yeah. dug in. When's, when did you get a Facebook account? I'll, oh, I was probably one of the first. Early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to because of the other podcasts I was doing. So, yeah, been been a while. Yeah, there's no way. My my younger brother's jumped off a few times yeah. and usually comes back on. They always so. come back. I could leave Instagram. I don't get anything extra out of yeah. that. But. I like taking pictures. So anyway. All right. Let's get back to the uh, the regular parts of the show here. Projects is how we start the show off. We talk about things we're doing, things in our life. I think one thing that's kind of a joint project is we were at Friday Night Lights. We talked a little bit about that. The first Cars and Coffee of the month, it's always the first Saturday of every month. I couldn't make, which sucked because I think it was epic, right? It was pretty good turnout. Yeah. The weather was nice. It was a little chilly in the morning, but the sun was out. Uh, everybody had a great time. Lots of cars, lots of new stuff. Always like the first and the last one because the first one, yes. everybody rolls out what they've been working on or what they bought. Yeah. And then the last one, it's like usually the cool stuff comes out one more time before the end of the season. Yeah. So, no, it was it was a really good time and sorry you had to work, but, you know, That's you what work. happens. Well, the nice thing was some people, dro- a salesman drove the Supra and I got like three or four texts. Hey, man, is that you? No, I'm working. I yeah. did post a picture of me like looking like I was crying <laughs> at I, the I, service desk. I had so many people like text me like, "Are you really crying?" I'm like, "No, it's it's acting." I'm like John John Lovitz, <laughs> acting, master thespian, yeah, acting. That's, uh, that's funny though, but it does make an appearance. So even you know there are other people who are uh, checked out on the Supra, right? Yeah. So they actually can make an appearance with it. And Absolutely, no, it I, and actually the biggest thrill to me is when somebody else takes a car. I'm like, oh my god. Somebody yeah. else at the dealership wants to go out and actually show the car off. So God bless them. I'm, I'm all for it. As a matter of fact, I wish there was ten guys at the store because it's it, it. You know, when when you work at a car dealership and you're surrounded, every, I I take these little videos all the time of cars coming off the truck. Yeah. You know, I get excited by them. So you know, and then I'll go to Cars and Coffee. I'll talk about a car. If anybody wants to talk about it, I'll talk about it. Sure. I'm like that poor guy with the Monte Carlo. 
Which one? Which <laughs> or no, it was the one. Oh, yeah. The yeah, so at, at the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could sit there and talk all night until I'm literally the last person there. But that's how that's that's the best part about these events. Yeah. Is like if you go to a car show show where it's, you know, ten AM to three PM and it's in a park and there's a trophy thing and all and this. once the trophies are gone. And then three o'clock or whatever whenever it wraps up, people are gone. Cars and coffee, uh, Friday night lights is great because it's like you can have a group of people just sit and hang out and talk until there's nobody there but three cars. Which is what we did. Yeah. That on Friday Night Lights. We shut it down. Yeah, Friday Night Lights, what is that, second or third Friday? Yeah, it's the second. I or, Sorry, the third. It's the middle of the month. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, Friday Night Lights, I went to that. And, and I think the Friday Night Lights was per near as busy as that Cars yeah. and Coffee, wasn't it? Yeah, it was huge. It's, and, and, and we're very, very grateful to have local events like these that are routine. Yeah. Um, not a lot of places will do that. Or they'll do something like once a month or once, you know – at least every week there's something to do here on the weekend. So not to always talk about Steve Brown, but Steve was saying how he went to the Cars and Coffee in Cleveland when he was there for the Cannonball event. He's like, oh, Cars and Coffee, Cleveland. Cleveland's a big town. It'll probably be amazing. Yeah. What do you say, 25 or 30 cars yeah, or something was, showed up? it was under 50, I and think. I, and I've been to the Bloomington one once myself. How was that? It was 15 cars, I think. Really? Yeah, which sucked because it was right next to a cool donut shop, which I think has since closed. But um, no, this Peoria one... There's something about There's it. There's magic. There's magic going on there. I, you know, yeah. we, we talked about getting trying to get Chris on the show, uh, but you know, schedules are busy. Everybody's COVID concerned and all that stuff. Uh, so maybe once you know everybody gets back to normal, we can make that happen. But uh, be nice. It would be nice to know if he thought it got to where it's at now. If that was his dream, or if it's become kind of a menace in some ways, because he he's laying out the law lately, saying nobody do this, nobody do that, please. Yeah. And then what happens? After Friday Night Lights, how many cop cars did you see pulling people over? Was- um, Friday Friday Night Lights, not that many. I, I saw a ton of state troopers and cars and coffee on the bridges. Yeah. And I heard there was some some stuff going on with that where people were getting pulled over for seatbelt and tint violations. The tint, the tint check yeah. drives me nuts. There was a bit of that. I wonder how much of that was, though, uh, aimed at the cars and coffee crowd or if they just had some targeted enforcement money. Which for- they do there anyway. Maybe, yeah. that, maybe that bridge is like a spot they was hit because – yeah, it seemed it because seemed opportunist. Yeah. It seemed like oh, all the car guys are going to be out. Oh, yeah. and we're going to probably pull them over for this, this, and this. Bottom line is, and there was some some social media chatter on the the Facebook group the about socials. That. Yeah, and it, it turned into you know the, the 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 police discussion stuff like that. Bottom line is, and I've I've driven cars that have been modified, you know, with no cats and exhaust ripped off and tint and all that. You know, okay, I've done that. As long as you're not doing something stupid. They usually leave you alone. Yeah. I drove around with no front plate for 15 years before I got pulled over. <laughs> I never get pulled over for it. I got a fix-it ticket in the parking lot of work one day. Yeah. But it was probably because it was like you know the 30th of the month, and it was like, oh, I'm going to get this guy. As, bottom line, I'm just saying, when you do stuff to your car, modify it, lift it, do stuff, take bumpers off, rip the cats off, you always run that risk. You're kind of you, – that's a risk you take. Yeah. You're going to get hassled. You're going to get pulled over. But by and large, unless you're doing something totally dumb, yeah, or revving your engine at a stoplight or something, just, just yeah, I even revved the super up a little bit. I mean, I cackled a little bit, but nobody's going to give you any grief about it. But, no, and, no, but there are people standing there, man, turn the tires, yeah, yeah smoke show, and it just okay. bounce it off the rev limiter yeah. fifteen thousand yeah. times. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Thanks. Nah, that's cool. Do your thing. You do you. But yeah, uh, yeah the cops got to do the same thing too. They got a job to do, and don't be stupid. Anyways, yeah. all right. So as far as projects, I got a project I'm working on right yeah. now. Currently, the 1990 Supra that I uh, started working on last year. 
Uh, I got the dents taken out today because I feel like it might be roadworthy, Daryl. It, it's getting close? Yeah, my son, I, I, if you remember, last fall I pushed it into the garage, didn't even turn the key on it because I didn't want to see what horrors my son had inflicted <laughs> on it. He, brought it. he brought it into the driveway saying the radio wasn't working, but there was steam coming out from under the hood. And uh, and at the time, I could it looked like it was coming from the overflow, but it could have been the radio. Everything was wet. The whole underside of the hood was wet. And I'm just like, you know what? It's a I think it's a two JZ, and uh, it's a non non turbo. It's a 1990. It's a stick shift. It's it's a cool little car, but it's it's not mint by any means. But when your 16 year old rolls in, and it's smoking under the hood, and it's an inline six from Toyota from the uh, the early 90s. Head gasket just automatically pops your head like, oh, God, worst case scenario. So I literally have been sitting for six months in that car, not touching it, purposely, just in my head, knowing the worst is possibly going to happen. Worst case scenario. Worst case. So my wife and I drove I drove it in. I drove it in a month or so ago to the dealership, and it drove fine. It never got overheated. But when I got to the store, a little steam was coming out from under the hood. And I popped the hood, and I looked, and there was some dribbling by the radiator. And I thought, eh, okay, well, at least it didn't overheat. Yeah. So then uh, I waited literally a month. It sat for a month because, again, I'm procrastinating because I know I don't want to spend 1200 bucks. I don't want to spend $1,500 redoing the Supra again. Right. It needs shocks. It needs other stuff. It needs some other it's stuff. It's got some dents on the hood. and um, So we did the, the block test, the intermix test. And what's that? It's not a pressure test? It's not a pressure test. So what you're doing is you um, you, you pop the radiator cap and you put this fluid vial on top. You, you With the rubber stopper, you put it on top of the radiator and you fill it with this blue fluid that you can get at Napa or wherever. But basically what it does, it watches the uh, content of the oxygen or CO2 coming out of the radiator. Okay. And if the color turns bright green, you know that there's... CO2 coming through. So exhaust gases in the cooling system. Exactly. Okay. And those those gases wouldn't naturally be there if the system was clean. It, it was it was sealed. Gotcha. So you're assuming some exhaust gas is making it through the the, the barrier and getting through there. So okay. The, the fluid stayed blue, but as it sat there longer and longer, brown gunk came up out of the radiator. Just kept building until it was literally pushing the blue stuff out the top, and it just looked like looked like Illinois River mud. Like not good. It yeah. didn't look good. So. Uh, fortunately, my technician, who's been there a lot, you know, he's he's been a technician longer than I've been in to- at Toyota. He's like, let's replace the thermostat, and I'm like, start with that. Yeah, and you know what, thermostat on that's on the high side. It's not too far away from where I actually did that test, and uh, there's probably a foot of hose from there. And uh, I'll be damned. I mean, so far so good. So far so good. Drove it. So the, you know what, I felt confident enough. To tell the dent guy, take the dents out of the hood. Yeah, you treated it. I think I think we're gonna. Have some fun with this car this summer. And then I think I'm actually going to buy some shocks for it. So Nice, nice. Yeah. So the thing's got uh, – is it a rebuilt trans? Like, yeah. I bought the car. The guy uh, – the, the previous owner had had it at the store. It got stuck in the hailstorm, that big hailstorm we had through the Midwest here. And uh, the transmission was already out. It was down at a shop down in Orlando. Oh, I remember. Because you talked about building the crate and shipping yeah, yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had done that not knowing I was going to own the car. But I still lovingly put that crate together and sent it down there. But then once he's, he got the check for the the hail, he's like, you know what? I'm going through divorce. I don't really want the car anyway. Yeah. Think anybody give me anything for it? And I'm like, well, what do you want? And he goes, well, I paid 1000 for those wheels. really want to get my money back on those wheels. And I, so I, I sat on it for like a week. <laughs> like, like I don't know, and I, I'm like, you know, it is worth that kind of money. But then the tranny's down there in Florida, so I called the people in Florida. I'm like, what do you, what's going to cost to fix this tranny? It'll be about six hundred fifty bucks. 
That's it's, cheap. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah. yeah, to put all new gears and everything in it, and uh, well, of course you got freight, but still, yeah, the freight wasn't that much because I got that all set up with uh, Fastenal, right? Fastenal, yeah, and uh, got them twenty five hundred dollars into this car right now, and she runs pretty good. So if it just need a thermostat, so got some dents taken out for a hundred bucks or so today, and not bad. That's actually the the best possible scenario you have, and it's it, it, being an inline six. It's not that. I mean, doing a head gasket, if that's the worst case scenario. That's the other thing about horrible. it, too. As, as far as head gaskets go, you'd much rather be on an inline, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah. a giant four-cylinder, Daryl. That's all it is. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that thing back on the road because I think I saw, um, you know, the the lovely Mrs. Stahl driving that. Uh, and yeah, we drove it to your house last year. I remember. Yeah. So she really enjoys that car. And that helps, too, when, when it's kind of a joint thing yeah. you know, versus it's just somebody's toy or something. like. It's, you guys both enjoy it. Yeah. So well, it's the worth problem it. is i got a Celica sitting in the garage now that feels deprived. So you know, I'll have to uh, figure out how to have a, a Supra and a Celica convertible you know, in the same garage all summer long. Of course, yeah. Anyway. They make uh, good garage mates, though. Yeah, they do. Uh, also, you know, I had put this on here about lemons. I am super interested in lemons. I'd love to be on a lemon team, but I don't know that I have the time – to even mess with that this year, so I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd like to start looking at it. I think it'd be one of those things where I think, um, you know, if anybody needed you know pit help or even if there was a way just to join the crew and help out a little bit on the side, I would do it. Sure, just because I want to see what's involved with it. But uh, I think that's going to be my my goal going forward. So we'll see how that goes. I think they do. Do they do them up in Joliet? They no, they do them in uh, Wisconsin. I think right across the border in Wisconsin. Okay. I'm trying to remember what track that is, um, that and then Gateway. I think Gateway has one down in Gateway St. Louis. Might. Yeah, I'd love to check one of those out too. Some friends years ago were going to do it, and they had an old Jaguar, one of the V12 deals. They were going to gutted it and put, I mean, all kinds of stuff in it and, and braced it. And I think either the motor blew up or something right before showtime, and they just kind of all went their separate ways. Mm-hmm. But I, I was hopped up because I was going to help them pit, and I, it was it was a neat opportunity. Yeah, uh, I just don't like you. It's just a time thing. But I think it would be fun, if not to be a spectator, uh, to participate at some level. Yeah, maybe. no, I, I think that's how you have to do it. Just get your foot in it. I, I think Steve's involved with the team too. So, uh, oh, that's just right. keep dropping his name all over this episode. But sorry, that's just yeah. when you have conversation about car guys, you talk about the guys you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, right. he's done that before, and I, I think he shared some pictures of some neat stuff. Yeah, I, and this other thing, I think I'm going to talk about this in a future show. KillerTools.com has a uh, plastic repair system. And yeah. I don't know if you followed this link when you were home or anything today. No. They have a YouTube video that looks pretty cool. This plastic welder, like, man. Like fixing bumper covers yes, and stuff? Yes, totally for bumper covers. Okay. It's, it's awesome. So, I mean, to do a bumper cover realistically with a body shop and using new parts, even aftermarket parts, you're probably still six to $800, generally speaking. So you're going to have to sand and you have to buff uh, to clean up the space to, in order to do the plastic welding. So that requires paint afterwards. But I still see how you could do the job for half the price. And uh, For a it, beater or something that yeah. you want to not really care too much about? Well, it still looks pretty good. I, I mean, it? that's the thing. It's not even just like beater level. There was a time in a place where beaters were the only thing you would do, like a plastic weld. Yeah, Or yeah. plastic rivets or something like that. Right. No, this is uh, it's decent. This is getting legit. So it's going to be entertaining to see. This is, again, technology just like changing right in front of us. See, and I remember years ago I had a body shop friend that was like, oh, yeah, you got because I had a crack bumper on one of my cars, the urethane. I wound up getting a whole new bumper. But uh, the guy's like, yeah, all you got to do is take some staples, some stainless staples. And you know, staple it together, pound it on the other side, then bondo and you know, flex agent and all this stuff. And I'm like, that sounds like Frankenstein. I don't want to do it. But you know, the body shop guys were able to make some of that work. But yeah. you had to know like the right. You couldn't just go to 
Ace Hardware and get How long bond could those bill. staples – see, I mean the problem you have, staples behind compound, 10 years in the Midwest, hot yeah. and cold, moisture, humidity. Yeah. You just have to assume it's going to pop, right? Yeah. You get yeah. the freeze thaw and yeah. then three winters, it's probably – everything Corrosion, just, uh, you get a little orange spot showing up behind there. Yeah. What you got there? Stitches? Oh, it's, it's fine. What do you give me for my training? <laughs> That's how it usually goes. <laughs> That's enough about me, Darren. What do you got going on in the Scott Auto Museum in North Peoria? Oh, shoot. Not too much. Um, I actually uh, – the the latest thing is I've got May 1st. That's this Saturday. Uh, cars and Coffee Day. I've actually got the afternoon blocked and then all, probably all day Sunday, depending on how it goes. Uh, I'm calling it the Day of Reckoning for the 47 yes. Chevy. This this poor fleet line we call it we call him Oscar that's its first owner but uh, it's a forty seven Chevy fleet line Sportmaster sedan which is a our kind of our first old car pride and joy and I love this thing it's an all original car you said you said always drive it to everything didn't you I drove that thing everywhere drove it um, until Bork until well until I bought the the Plymouth the fifty five uh-huh. because I fell in love with that and uh, it as you said one of them sits in the garage then gets neglected. While you find the new toy, and then mm-hmm. the next time you jump in it, that other one's jealous and stuff breaks. doesn't work. Yeah. It gets mad at you. You have per- to spend with, money. With purpose. So this poor thing, um, actually the brakes uh, went out. We redid the brakes years ago. My dad and my younger brother actually went through all of those back in like 2010. and uh, Only 11 years ago. Only 11 years ago. <laughs> but uh, we started putting more and more miles on it and, and driving it. And I'd always have a little bit of a problem with the driver's side rear where one of the wheel cylinders was just a little, I won't say leaks, but just a little damp. And it was one of those things where I just shoot some brake cleaner on it, dry I'm like, well, I'll check it you know, at the end of the season, see how worse it is. And it usually was tolerable. And the last time I did the 4th of July parade in West Peoria a couple years ago with it, like the brakes pretty much went to the floor, and I just kind of topped up the master cylinder, got some pressure. I'm like, eh, we're good to go. And then promptly put it back into storage, and I'm like, I'll deal with this later. Yeah, kind of well, like my Supra. It sucks because, yeah, you, you know, time comes up. You get the first nice day. You're like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to take this out? And you're like, I can't because yeah. it's a mess. Yeah. So I've got all the parts. I've had everything ready to go. I've got new wheel cylinders. Um, the master cylinder has been replaced, and that's actually good. But it's we rebuilt the original wheel cylinders, and that's why I think the issue is is probably should have just been – New ones, you can have them sleeved if the bores are that bad. I'm trying to think what you have to read. I mean, uh, the bore. Okay, all right. The bore that's inside because if if the brake fluid's got rust and all that crap in it over the years, that it makes little microscopic holes in the bore. Sure, sure. And sometimes that the fluid pushes up past the piston, it starts to leak. This thing actually actually also broke. There was some uh, return spring hardware that broke. And made a huge mess in the drum, so I'm going to clean that up. So would this car have four-wheel drum? Four-wheel drum, and okay. it has what they call Huck-style brakes. So it's before GM started using Bendix brakes. And these things, the Hucks are super primitive. They're they're juice brakes. They're hydraulic. But they, they suck. And, <laughs> they, I mean, there's no, they're not self-adjusting. Okay. So you got to actually pop the drums off. Every and, once in a while, just give them a crank. Yeah. Um, is there a, a hole in the back to do the adjustment on? There is. At least has that. There is. That yeah. makes it a little easier. But I usually just pull everything off, clean it, and uh, adjust it. It's funny to hear the old-timers, too, talk about, like, do you have somebody arc your shoes? I'm like, no. Like, well, we used to do that back in the day. We'd take it on a, on a, a bench grinder and just, like, it, it basically takes some of the, the, the top part off so it's more round. Oh, okay. When you think back in the day when they were doing that, it was probably, you know, not stuff you should have been breathing in a shop. But, yeah, right, right. Um, so anyways, I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually pretty decent at brakes, but it seems like every car I have needs brake work. So maybe I'm not that good at it. So, how do, I mean, I've never driven that car, but uh, 
So when you have four wheel drum, yeah. I mean, we always say drum brakes are mushy. We no, do, they're no? rock solid. Really? Yeah. Well, mushy starts happening when you have air in the lines, or you've got you know stuff's way out of adjustment. Or is it the same brake fluid? Is it T10? Yeah, it's dot, okay. dot three. Dot three. Dot sorry, three. Sorry, yeah. Sorry. And um, the, the 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 issue comes when you start adding power assist. Yeah. That's where you lose the feel because then you don't actually know what the brakes are doing. When everybody that drives the old stuff that we have um, gets in, they're like, "Oh, these brakes are super hard." Well, that's because there's no power booster on the two of the cars we have. And it's nice. To me, it's nice because it takes one thing out of the equation. And when you put your foot down, you're actually feeling everything. Now, it's a single reservoir master. So when you lose all the brake fluid, you're You're screwed. You're totally screwed. (laughs) As I found out last year when I tried to pull it out of storage and I went almost into the fence line. Yikes. And I'm like, well, there's no fluid on the ground. It's probably all evaporated. E- e-brake uh, the pedal or? E-brake works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's pretty it, – that's fine. But is, it, is it like left foot pedal? Brake? It's a crank. It's oh, a, okay. Uh, it's on the kick panel there. Okay. So. No, I mean, she's she's a good running car mechanically other than that. So I'm going to try to get that knocked out because I do have a big show in Morton that I want to take it to. And if there's something May 8th, if anybody's bored – uh, May 8th, there's something at the VFW Hall there in Morton called the Morton Car Fest. Oh, I don't and think that's too far away from 309 Arena, so maybe I can go down there. Yeah, maybe uh, we can get Gabe to bring some of his treasures up there. Maybe he can bring one of his Land Cruisers. Yeah, because he's basically cornered the market on Land Cruisers. <laughs> so that's a, that's, that's a topic for when he's on the oh. show next. So anyways, there's that. Um, and then I keep buying other parts for the 58 Plymouth that I'm working on, including parts to replace parts that I've already bought. So. There's that. All right. Well, that's good enough. Yep, yep. All right. Ready for the next segment of the show, Daryl? Let's get it on. It's an exciting one. Is it? Wheel Daily Kill. You mixed it up a little bit I this did time. mix it up a little bit this time. Uh, you know, I think I was actually talking to Gabe Casey about this, and um, I thought, you know what? I, well, I told him about my dream car. My dream car is if a RAV4 two-door with a convertible top ever yeah, showed up, yeah. I'm on it. Like like a fly on on horse poop, which they don't. Uh, they do not come up. No, we sold one back in like '96. I remember when it came on the lot. It was like bright red, fire engine red. Yeah, it was a hard top two door with a pop off like middle sunroof on it, and it was a manual transmission. I think the thing literally was like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars. Just dirt cheap. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, back then though, I mean, I think you could buy. Uh, probably a Chevy Cavalier for eighty nine ninety five or so. So it wasn't right. that cheap by the scheme of things. It, okay. it had nothing. The interior was very sparse. It may not even have air conditioning, Daryl. <laughs> I don't well, remember. But, but those things, when those came out, they uh, they were competing with some of the other. I, well, they were compe- They were not competing with anything back then, though. Back back when they first came out in ninety six, they were pretty much unique as far as as far as mini SUVs. Because what we're going to do here, folks, on the Wheel Daily Kill, we're going to take three cars. From 1996, that we're kind of in that genre. A good year, by the way. Yeah, 1996 was a good year. Yeah, good music. Yeah. Um, the, the 1996 RAV4 two-door, that was the introductory year of the RAV4, which that 1997 became the Automobile Magazine Car of the Year. But uh, to match that, we're going to mar- marry it with a 1996 Suzuki Sidekick and a 1996 Isuzu Amigo, which you don't yes. know the Amigo. That's yes. basically the rodeo, but chopped down to a two-door format. Honestly, the Amigo was like my dream car because the Amigo came out in, I think, the early 90s. Yeah, like 91, 2, something like that. I only pulled out the 96 model because that was the first year of the RAV4, so I thought I'd just marry this scenario. So uh, let's kind of go down the list of the particulars here. Sure. The Amigo came with a 2.6-liter inline-four or a 3.2-liter V6. I have to think that V6 was rare, but it probably wasn't as rare as 
it is in like modern cars. Uh, the Suzuki always came with a four-cylinder, the 1.6 or the 1.8 liter. I imagine the 1.8 liter is probably a misnomer. It probably only came with a four-door model, if I had to guess, wouldn't you think? Yeah, or I think maybe a different trim series or something. But, yeah, yeah. either way, very tiny. Yeah, and the RAV4 came with a two-liter engine, and they only had one option on those motors. It was 119 horsepower. And uh, doesn't seem like much, but the car was actually pretty tiny. Now, you could get that combination on all these with five speeds, which is pretty sweet. And you can get four-wheel drive on all of these as well. And uh, I think that these are cars that are actually missing from the market right now. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. And, and back in the day, you said about you know, 12 to 15, 16 grand. Yeah. About what the, the going rate was. So the buyer would be what? Young kid, kind of hip person, cool. Yeah, but you know, just like when we always dealt with new Scion customers, it always seemed like it was like older people who had a little bit more money because if they looked at the domestic lot, they'd always find it for three or four thousand dollars cheaper than what you know a, a Toyota equivalent would be. So, sure, yeah. sure. But anyway, yeah, it said the introductory price on this Rav Four actually was fourteen thousand nine hundred forty-eight dollars. Okay. So, boy, I, maybe my memory's not serving me right, but I could have swore around twelve or thirteen thousand is where they were at. Maybe for uh, two, was there a uh, front wheel drive? There was a front wheel drive, so it might probably yeah. been cheaper. Yeah. I can tell you honestly, the the two door Rav Four with a soft top with four wheel drive, unicorn, yeah, absolute unicorn. If you yeah. see one of those, you should just buy it, park it in your garage because <laughs> somebody is going to come up to you like uh, uh, five years from now, like looking for that car, and you can just say, "I want ten thousand dollars for it," and they'll be like, "I can't find one anywhere else. They're not, yeah, just they're not making it. any more." Yeah. So, all right, so Daryl. The whole point of the wheel daily kill scenario is what would you wheel and what would you daily and what would you pitch in the trash? Wow. Um, This is a heck of a lineup, too. Uh, My uncle actually had – he didn't have the sidekick. He had the predecessor, which was the Suzuki Samurai. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is even smaller and more terrible. More dangerous. More dangerous. Those things flipped over. I think uh, 60 Minutes did an expose. They did. They actually put training wheels on it. Do you remember the video? <laughs> the, the Isuzu Trooper, I remember they did it on that. And I, yeah. th- and I think the Suzuki uh, Samurai was one of them as well. Yeah, it was funny. But I remember that thing, and I remember he bought it dirt cheap, and he put it. He drove it out. To, they had a timeshare out in Vail, and they're they like, well, that's our cheap little Vail buzz-around car. I think yeah. he had it like six months or a year, and then like, this thing sucks. <laughs> Sold it out there. But, um, yeah, the Isuzu Amigo, I remember, do you remember the commercial, the Jingles? Mm-mm. They did. You remember Ren and Stimpy had the song Log, like the fake TV commercial for... Dude, I, I remember some Ren and Stimpy, but I'm not somebody. You know, I'm, I'm not as youthful as you, Daryl. Right, right. Some of the people out in, in Wonderland will actually remember there was the, the song Log about it's big, it's heavy, it's wood, blah, blah, it's better, bad, oh, good. I think I remember that. Yeah. Okay, so Isuzu did a whole thing like that, and it was like, it's Amigo, Amigo. I'm going to find I think I do remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it was funny. Amigo, amigo. It was like this funny it's fun, little It's thing. a wonderful toy. Yeah, and I remember watching that even in high school. I was I was a uh, junior in high school in '96, and I remember watching that, going like, "This is like Ren and Stimpy. Oh, that's awesome. They're cool. I want a, I want an Amigo." But then everyone I saw growing up was like teal or like that rosy metallic. It was something like yeah, what's, you're right. What's it was like name? a sh- champagne. Yeah, yeah there was yeah. like uh, something that girl from Clueless would be driving. But I still liked them because you could get a V6 in them. Yeah. And I thought they were a little beefy. I thought the fender flares were cool. I liked the roof line. Oh, they totally – it was like an inappropriate chop is what they yeah. did. They took the same wide body of the rodeo and just like chopped it down four feet. It was like uh, – yeah, everything that that just looked – it looked cool. I don't know. The RAV4, when I came out, I didn't know. There weren't anybody in my neighborhood that had them. Uh, I didn't have any friends, parents that had them. I remember seeing them years later, like early 2000s when they were showing up on the used market. And they became like uh, kind of a cool little niche vehicle. 
And uh, when I was working in the stock room, a lady came to pick up some furniture and I was dropping it off in her car and she had a black one. And I remember thinking, hmm, that was cool because the back door swung open like the big gate, yeah, right? Yeah, it was – yeah. And I remember seeing that. Like I was loading – I think it was like bar stools. Oh, see, now that would have been a great thing to have information on. There. You know, did these have tailgates or swing outdoors? Oh, yeah. Good I, question. I think the Amigo had a tailgate. I think it did. I think it was more truck-like. Yeah. I can't remember the sidekick, I to be honest. Yeah. It might. It could go either way. Yeah. Uh, but I remember the RAV4, I remember thinking, this is awesome. Because everything, being a tall guy, you could load everything into that, that back area. I think I was loading bar stools in this lady's truck. And I'm like, <laughs> this is really easy. She's like, I love this thing. She's like, I'm going to buy another one as soon as it leases up or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, so I'm going to take the practical choice. I'm going to say for my wheel pick, I would actually wheel the Amigo. Because of all of them, it's got the biggest motor, the optional 3.2 V6. And I believe it's frame on body. It's bo- Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, and the, and this, uh, Suzuki may be as well, but the RAV is definitely not. Yeah. Okay. So if I could get that V6 with a five-speed, which I think you could get in yeah. like the rodeo and stuff, all about that. Because V6, why not? Uh, plus, I think there's probably some, some stuff you could do to it. Make it a fun little trail rig. But it's so tiny, it probably, I don't know, <laughs> might get into some trouble. Uh, for my daily pick, I'd pick the RAV4 because Toyota, reliability, and good on gas. And then for the kill, I would have to kill the sidekick. Before it killed you? Before it, A, killed me. And it's something else I remember. My dad was a retired teacher and football coach. One of the football coaches, back when those things came out, bought one. And my dad, like, I forget. he was. They were riding to a game or they were riding after a game somewhere. And, like, this guy, the co- other coach gave him a ride in it. And he came home, and and I thought it was cool, you know, because it was different. I'm like, hey, you know, Mr. Kamen's sidekick, what do you think? He's like, my kidneys hurt. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you got the seat was probably half the size of your dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was besides being the tiniest of those three, <laughs> those things ride so bad. He said it was like riding in a paint shaker at a hardware store. <laughs> every little bump, because the wheelbase is like this, right? So every little bump, do 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 do, just terrible. So I kill that, kill that sidekick. One hundred percent. What about you? Well, unfortunately, I think uh, you and I are pairing very, very closely here. So I, I had a, a slight love affair with the Amigo. I remember back in like '91, I was on a car lot with my girlfriend at the time, and we were looking at Honda Del Souls and, and Suzu Amigos. Ooh, yeah. I mean, totally two niche cars that yeah. both, again, today are worth stupid money because they were so weird and nichey back then. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, credit didn't warrant that I should buy either of those cars. So <laughs> you've been declined. I've been declined. So, uh, so I didn't buy either of those cars. But no, the Amigo, again, I think it has the uh, durable frame on it. Uh, you know, Honda basically stole this body so they could make their SUV because they couldn't pull off a frame on body That's SUV. That's right. The, yeah. uh, was it the Passport? Passport, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this one also had probably the best scenario for a back seat with a soft top. Uh, the Suzuki was pretty cool, and the RAV4 did have a soft top option, but again, super rare, and, and it was so small, nobody was going to get their hair blown around on that thing. <laughs> but the Amigo was totally probably the most Jeep-like open canopy of the three. So I, I think the V6, the five-speed, yeah, that thing's screaming that I'm going to wheel that thing all day. And my daughter drives a 2000 RAV4 with a 280,000 miles on it right now with a five-speed. That's right. We're daily in the RAV4 because, again, Toyota reliability, same engine, same trans. I replaced the clutch on it, but give me a break. I mean, 280,000 miles. It's a four-door, right? Hers is a four-door. Yeah, she, hers is a four-door, yeah. but it's the, uh, the L edition, you know, so... Uh, it has a little extra fancy trim and the nicer radio and all that stuff. So, uh, unfortunately, Suzuki, I think they made great cars. And I, actually, I think because of the Samurai 
uh, I would say they're very, very cool and very progressive, and you still see samurais out of the Badlands, stuff like that. Yeah. Given the choices here, though, I think I'm going to look a lot cooler wheeling the Amigo than I am the sidekick. So I'm going Amigo, and I'm daily in the RAV, and I'm killing the sidekick. Sorry. Nah. Sorry, Suzuki, but it, 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 was a, it was a noble fight to the end. That might have been one of two times you and I were on the same page. I think you might be right. It's, so, it's very rare. It's a momentous occasion. Yes, it is. All right. Break out the confetti. I'll have to break out the little applause thing. Yeah, yeah. I will say there. I was just looking the other day on uh, Marketplace, Facebook Marketplace, and there was a 97 Tudor in like Muscatine, Iowa that popped up. Hmm. But I couldn't tell if it was a – was there a fixed roof Tudor and then the soft top? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that was uh, – yeah, you see a lot more of the fixed roof, and gotcha. that's useless to me. I mean, that that hard top with a two door. Yeah, I mean, it might be cool, but uh, realistically, and a lot of them came with an automatic. Talk about a dog, and and really, <laughs> yeah, what no, do you do no, with it? No fun to drive. No, I guess no. you could you could slam it. It might look really cool, it's slammed and and like widened out with some spacers. Maybe. Yeah. Do you remember around the same time Suzuki had another one that was almost like the, and I got them confused with the Rav Four because they came out, they kind of had that tall roof line, similar front style, but the Suzuki one's profile was jacked up. It was called the X ninety. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember those? So that that definitely could have been in the mix here, but I couldn't have two Isuzus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or that was Isuzu. No, no, that was a Samurai. No, what was there was an Isuzu. It was a really weird one too. The Vehicross. Yeah, that's, that's right. the one that I like. Yes. Yeah, they that, made that. That's another one that's people go completely bonkers for them. That that might be a future car of the week. Okay, we yeah. could do like cars the cool thing that, about the the cool thing about that car is it was clad in a bunch of like gray plastic. Yeah, and. And from my experience, especially here in the Midwest, when you clad a car in that much plastic, they generally stay preserved because they weren't getting the exterior moisture and the rock chips and stuff like that. Yeah, they're not bad. I'd be interested to see if there's a Via Cross running around here somewhere. They go for they go for stupid money. Do they really? They do. Still? They th- those, and they also made one called the Axiom, which was a four-door, Don't almost like that. a trooper. Yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. Neat styling. I just say that to say this. Isuzu, you had something. Yeah. I don't know what the hell happened. Yeah. The X90 know. did have the uh, going back to the Suzuki had had the privilege of being the worst selling car in like in 1998 history. or something like that. It literally, they sold like 297 of them or something like that. You yeah. know, it, for a mass production car, it, it owned that honor. It was bizarre, and and then they stopped bringing them in. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was kind of weird. Good and stuff. You, and when you see them jacked up, you have to laugh. It just puts a smile on your face. They are. They're like a cartoon car. Yeah, they are. They're, they're fun. All right. All right. Now we get to the next section of the show. You've been waiting for this whole time because you want to hear. The news. Yes, that means you, Tim. The guy who wrote the review says, I don't know nothing about cars, but they talk about them, and I kind of like it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, on international news, Daryl. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Stellantis supplier seeks a court order to compel chip supply for the Jeep plant. A federal judge in Michigan will hear arguments on Friday on whether to issue an emergency order forcing NXP semiconductors provide chips to the suppliers of the automaker Stellantis. The global automotive chip crunch started last year when automakers and their suppliers failed to understand that they needed to put their orders in months ahead of time as consumer electronics industry surged and took up the chip-making capacity. That's from Reuters. I think it's funny you can sue your way out of a problem like this. How do you think it's turning out for them, Daryl? I don't understand how that's going to work other than, you know, here's teaching. Some, here's some chips we don't have. Yeah. What are you going to do? The yeah. whole issue is the supply. Right? I guess I guess at some point it would be like damages. I guess if you have an order in and they didn't fulfill the order, can you, can you sue them for that? Maybe. Maybe. Still lost that, revenue from sales they, sh- they could have had, but they didn't have anything to sell. You still didn't sell any Jeeps. No. No. <laughs> Good no. luck with that. I just think it's a bigger – to me, I, I think 
I know. I'm not to. I, I'm not a legal expert by any means. We, oh, we, well, we know yeah, some. Gay boy said we could call him, but we're not doing it. Sorry. We should. We should have him speed dial. I just think that a lot of times, unless you're trying to make somebody stand out and make an example, like don't do this or some shady stuff yeah. went down, or whatever. I can see it in that case. In this one, it's like trying to get blood from a turnip. Um, there's nothing. There's a very fixed, as we talked about on that show with Dean. Um, there's a very finite number of places that can make this stuff. And you can sue them all you want, but you're going to have to get in line behind everybody else. So, And you probably don't want to be the squeaky wheel that's making it up. Making it obscene because you definitely won't get the service you expect. Yeah. Right? Next next contract, they're probably not going to get as sweet as deal. Probably not. But I don't know. I don't know. You want to get this next one? Let's yeah. Let's talk. We're talking Toyota here. Toyota says that it will introduce fifteen, uh, and what that means: battery electric vehicle. That's a new acronym. Bev. Fifteen Bevs. That's new to me. I guess I, I've always heard EV, but battery electric. I guess it's specific as opposed to what uh, partial or hybrid or yeah, but I think I mean a Tesla is a BEV, right? Yeah, I would think so. But anyways, Toyota is going to introduce fifteen new models and expand their lineup by the year twenty twenty five. Toyota Motor Company uh, Corporation said that they uh, were going to introduce fifteen battery electric vehicles globally by twenty twenty five, expanding the automaker's electric vehicle lineup to achieve carbon neutrality before the year twenty fifty. The company will increase its number of electric vehicles to around 70 from currently 55, it said in a statement. The new BEV model Toyota BZ series, which was unveiled at the 2021 Shanghai Auto Show Monday of this week, is aimed for China, the United States, and Europe, according to the carmaker. That's a Reuters automobile uh, news story there. Uh, the, the BZ Toyota, is that the, the little SUV that's based on the Venza? Is that the one that they're touting right now? Um, you know, it looked a lot from the pictures I saw like a RAV. But okay. It, but it also could be that same uh, configuration as like the uh, the Venza. Um, this was interesting to me. And, I, and the reason I had this story, and I, I hate to do Toyota stories too much because I, I always feel like people I'm, think I'm going to lean too much on those. But uh, we talk so much about EV manufacturing by Volkswagen. We talk about Tesla. We talk obviously ad, ad nauseum here on this show mm-hmm. about Tesla. But uh, we don't talk much about Toyota. And we really don't talk much about Honda or any of the other Asian makes. Uh, but this is this is how Toyota operates. They're so pragmatic. They 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 look like they move at a snail's pace, but they're working in the background and they're always trying to find the best angle for everything. And so, like oh. You know what? You're going to get passed up. You're going to do whatever. And all of a sudden, Toyota's like, oh, by 2025, we're going to have 55 EV models out there. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from, right? Yeah. And the same thing if you look at how the Prius. The Prius is kind of like the model that, that in the early 2000s, it was like – We thought were, they were crazy. There were one or two of them. You're like, yeah. this isn't going to take off. Well, and Honda had the insight. Honda, right. Honda had EVs out – or uh, eight. HVs before I think Toyota did originally. I think they did. And I remember the fr- there was a woman I worked with years ago back in 2002 that bought a Civic EV, a hybrid. And I thought she was nuts. I thought <laughs> she was like, oh, yeah, you know. She's, she's like, I'm making a statement. I'm doing all this and all that. But then five years later, every other one you see at a traffic light is a hybrid. They get a little hybrid badge or, you know, you see the Prius evolve. Little green from, leaf. You know, it went from Leonardo DiCaprio has a Prius to now everybody's mom has a Prius that yeah. you knew ever. Yeah. And so that's what I'm, I think your point is that they're very cautious about it, but when they do roll out something, it's not um, 
untested, no. something that's actually been in the works and development for probably 10 years at that point. But by the time it hits market, they've nailed it. Yeah. And we're going to see more and more of this stuff adopted, not only through Toyota, but there's other automakers that have been fairly quiet about EVs and anything they're doing. Mazda's one of them. Don't hear too much from Mazda. Well, but they're actually – Mazda built a factory with Toyota that's all dedicated to hybrid technology. Right. It's down in Mississippi, I think, so they'll be building joint – Jointly on their yep. their EV or HV vehicles, yeah, yeah, you're seeing or that BEVs. BEVs. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, we're gonna get you a uh, throwing wrenches map of acronyms. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so that's what's going on in the international global scene here. Yeah. What's going on here, here in the U.S. of A.? We talk a lot about auto shows, and last year we watched all the auto shows melt into nothing. So there's a little bit of auto show news here. In national news, still no auto show, so Detroit tries a car crawl. Hmm. This is from Automotive News. It's been more than 800 days since Motor City has had an auto show, and the next one is still about 500 days away. To fill the vo- to fill the void until September of 2022, the Detroit Auto Dealer Association is helping to bring the car-focused event to the city this summer, the Motor City Crawl is aimed to bring some economic activity back to Detroit while also raising money for children charities that would have benefited from the charity preview of the North American International Auto Show, normally held in 2020 and 2021. So that's cool, but let's tie this next story, also from Automotive News in there, that the Twin Cities Auto Show is going to have an experiment in experimental. The Automobile Dealers Association of Minnesota their president, Scott Lambert, says the outdoor show is set to take place next month at the state fairgrounds and will feature a variety of interactive elements for attendees. So what I want you to get from these two stories, listener, uh, is that auto shows may be dead in the convention center, mm-hmm. but it looks to me like manufacturers know there's value to getting these cars out in the public, and they're going to do whatever they can. And if that means outside, that means in a crawl, that means in a fairground parking lot, we're going to have auto shows. Yeah. I think that's a great way to do it. And Detroit is always good about reinventing themselves, reinventing their industries. What are you, McConaughey? A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. All right, all right. No, but the thing, calling it a a Motor City car crawl, it's like a pub crawl. (laughs) You know, that's the first thing that goes through my mind Mm because I'm apparently 22 in my brain. But but also think about the venue that uh, the Minnesota State Fairgrounds brings. Instead of having it be this big ticket thing that's almost like a like a big gala festival where you pay twenty bucks or fifteen bucks for your ticket, you go to this big convention hall, you wander around on carpet, and everything is just kind of cold and out of touch and whatever. Let's get rid of that. What do people like? They like car shows, they like being able to go outdoors, maybe spend some time with their family, push kids in a stroller, walk around with everybody, get some ice cream, and look at stuff out in the natural environment. Cars aren't naturally going to be driving around an exhibition hall on carpet, right? You're going to see them on a pavement. You're going to see them in, you know, the, the you could do stuff with trucks and, and put them on an articulation rack outdoors yeah. that you can't really do. Yeah. So it, I think this is great, and maybe we take some of the, uh, I don't know what you call that, like the, uh, it becomes more approachable. I mean, to me, think about this. When we're, we go to the Civic Center the last couple of years, we've been there, and you're in a convention center, and you're around a bunch of cars, and you're in unnatural lighting, mm-hmm. and all these cars are, like, jammed up against each other. There's something to be said about being out in grass and sunlight and pavement and having natural light. Yeah. yeah. Even even evening street lights on a car are beautiful. Under halogen lights or LEDs in a convention center, not the same thing. No. I remember, and I bought you know my first car myself when I was 22, but I remember buying it at night at a dealer. 
and negotiating, doing all the stuff, getting the financing, being sweating it all, right? At the end of the night when you walk out and your car is just kind of sitting underneath, yes. like you said, like yes. the glow of the light. you got your key in your hand. You're yes. just like, ah, oh, this is mine. This is mine. Is it your Mustang? Yeah, it was a Mustang. <laughs> That was like that was such a cool moment because I remember everybody does that look yes, where they sign yes. the paperwork. No, and, I agree. Completely. And they walk out the dealer yes. and they're just like, ah, oh, this is it. Yeah, you're not going to get that when you're you're you can't really see yourself in something. Yeah. Uh, in in the middle of like McCormick Place yeah. or wherever they hold it in Detroit, and the Detroit, I'm glad to see that the reference of the charities, yeah. because uh, North American Auto Show has been huge with that. They do like the pre night, like a like a fundraiser the night before, black yeah. tie event. Yeah. Barrett-Jackson auto auctions are big with those two. They usually do like a donor, private donor thing in the beginning, donate all the money to charity, and then it opens to the public. These are huge. We might not think of them as being big spectacles and raise tons and tons of money, but I guarantee you there's some heavy hitters, especially not only in the automotive industry, but also just in, in everyday industry that want to be seen at some of these events because, let's face it, it's just kind of a – um, it's a it's a big it's a big deal for yeah. folks. Well, and the worst part is Roy Firestone has not had anything to do for the last two years. No, yeah, we should find that video. Do we have video of that? <laughs> we do, we do somewhere. All right, oh, that's man. an inside joke. Yeah, it we'll is share. No, kind of an outside joke. I mean, I think I I lambasted uh, Roy Firestone the show back in like episode twelve. <laughs> I think I think we did. Uh, <laughs> All right. Entertainment for those shows, exactly. Maybe, maybe a little bit better outdoors. All right, I got a super cool article here. I don't know if you guys heard about this. I don't know if anybody knows what King of Hammers is, uh, but there's, it's a race event. It's held out in California. I'm going to read this article, and I'm going I'm to read a little bit. This isn't as condensed as we normally do it, but this article is in CNET. We're going to put a link to it. Last week, for the first time ever, an electric vehicle ran the King of the Hammers off-road event in Johnson City, California. Racer Kyle Seglin and his team finished the Everyman Challenge in truck number 2277. It's a Toyota 4Runner with a powertrain of a Nissan Leaf EV. Yes, you heard that right. It's a Toyota 4Runner <laughs> with a powertrain of a Nissan Leaf EV. The 4Runner Leaf rig was built by Seglin and his team, and it started the race with two 20-kilowatt-hour batteries, enough to get it through the first 17.5 miles. The team swapped out those batteries for a 62-kilowatt pack found in a Prius, I'm sorry, in a Leaf, plus the process took a mere seven minutes. The key to quickly swapping the batteries was custom-built sliders. The team divided the battery packs into sections, each weighing about 200 pounds. They fit securely into the sliders and connected the electric motor with a large high-voltage connection and uh, some other stuff going on here. But the other team that they were going up against, I, and where's that here? It's uh, it gets into the article. This is this is the riot because they were going up against another team that was also competing with an EV, and they had to charge their vehicle. Oh shoot! I don't think I have it in there. Anyway, I'm gonna tell you. Read the article about CNET. It's brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do talk about their uh, the competitors. The power steering went out or something like that. Oh, is it down there? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the section of the race, uh, the camaraderie of off road racing really shined. Another team's crew asked to carry some parts out to the rig because their power steering blew up or yeah. whatever. So here's the deal, though. I, I can tell you this. So we're talking about hot swap batteries. We're talking about a trail rig, and it's all EV. And if you look at this truck and you look at the pictures on it, you're going to see basically a roughed up. Uh, Forerunner. Yeah, 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 and it's pretty cool. And to think that these guys just hot swap batteries to continue the King of the Hammers race. Look up King of the Hammers. You're going to see a mountain of videos on King of the Hammers. Yeah, uh, and I think this truck is going to show up in there. So look up the uh, the Toyota Forerunner with a Nissan Leaf motor, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm telling you, 
this is going to be the future of that type of racing. You know, natural gas was a – propane, natural mm-hmm. gas, that was how everybody was going because it was cleaner. It was more durable. You could flip the vehicle over, not worry about gas spilling and stuff like that. Sure. Well, we're going to move right into EVs on these things. And, and nobody is looking at that truck going, not burning gas. I'm not going to watch that. This truck was probably humming along, made some space-age noises that blew past you. But those big wheels and that rough body, that thing is there for fun. Yeah, tons of torque. It's interesting, too. You mentioned some of the safety about uh, you know the fuel. And they, we have fuel cells. I mean, we've got pretty good about that. But still, if you're running Baja or something where you know, you're know you flying through the air and something crashes, uh, that's always a real concern. The only real concern with batteries is the weight. But you, frankly, you're already in a vehicle that's pretty heavy, things like yeah. that. As long as things are tethered down, secured, that's really not a concern. So if you do crash, your only concern is... You make sure your safety device, your your cage is built, everything else. You don't have to worry about the fuel. And I'll tell you what, I'm not a scaredy cat, but I, I always look at serious drag racing, uh, top fuel stuff, Baja stuff, <laughs> even monster trucks where something goes wrong and there's always the big fireball. Explosion, yeah. And then you're trapped in like this harness and all yeah. that. Like, yeah. If you take that out of the equation – yeah. I think we're going to see things get a little, yeah. little bit safer. We'll, t- we'll talk about exploding batteries here in just a second, but, yeah. uh, but generally speaking, yeah, I think if you're in a top fuel dragster, you know, you could just if you could just blow the torque just from an EV, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's going to be a lot safer, and I think you could have just as much fun easily, yeah, easily. You still need parachutes for that too. Anyway, all right, so let's get on to some more national news here. Uh, I have three articles that are kind of stacked in a row here, and we're just going to kind of go through these. Uh, this one first off starts with a drive. The article is, no one was driving in the Tesla crash that killed two in Texas, according to police. Uh, Two men died in a fiery crash in a Tesla last weekend in Texas, uh, one where police claimed that the occupant was sitting in the passenger seat and the other was in the back. The collision happened in Carlton Woods, a subdivision in an affluent Houston area suburb of the Woodlands. I don't even know what that is. And many observers believe misuse of the car's autopilot and its semi-autonomous driver aid system may have been to blame. No one was driving, Harris County Precinct 4 Constable Mark Herman said, KPRC2 Houston. Uh, Herman said the investigation showed there were only two occupants in the car. Neither was found in the driver's seat. It's unknown how fast the 2019 Tesla S was driving when it crashed into a tree, but deputies claim it was traveling at a high rate of speed when it failed to negotiate the cul-de-sac turn. This was huge news. Uh, If you go online, you'll see... If you dig deep in this article, actually, you'll find lots of, like, uh, viral videos where people are, like, showing themselves pillows, sleeping in the driver's seat. There's, like, a, a Tesla S challenge where... There almost is. Yeah. Yeah, where people are just kind of like, let's see how, how far I can go before yeah. something happens. There was one I remember seeing years ago when the first round of crashes happened with autopilot engaged. If you remember, there was a deadly – I think there were two. I, think I remember were, them hitting somebody, <clears throat> a biker or something like that. That was one. Yeah, it was a pedestrian. I think there was another one where somebody like crashed to a tree or something. But there was also, I believe, video footage of this guy like running around like curves, curved roads and seeing the thing <laughs> try to take over, yeah. how bad it would get before the car would just <laughs> – and that's that's where I believe they either turned off autopilot or like we're going to do some updates because that was a feature that did you have to pay extra for? Or they unlocked it or something. I like that? I think they were allowing it at first, and then you had to unlock. You had to pay the extra ten thousand dollars in the car for the autopilot. It's always dangerous whenever people think 
they're getting something that they're not. If you call something autopilot, which, by the way, Chrysler used to call their cruise control autopilot back mm-hmm. in the 60s. Ooh, <laughs> Did autopilot. They? Yeah. That's it was, awesome. It's kind of neat. You actually saw under the hood, if you ever see an old Imperial or something, you'll see a little sticker. Autopilot. Yeah, and it just sounds great. But at the same time, autopilot doesn't mean you go in the back and take a nap or you yeah. go and talk to the uh, – It's not like airplane where the guy inflates. <laughs> yeah, the inflatable, <laughs> the inflatable pilot. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely not like that. And I think people are either taking advantage of it or just they think it's something that it's not. Or yeah. I hate to say this because I'm, I'm, I'm jumping to conclusions. I want to say maybe there's some substance substances that might be a, at work here oh. where somebody's like, oh, I'm too hammered to drive. I'm going to let my fancy computer later car do it. And then they make bad decisions. Only they're not the ones driving. They're, they're not driving at all. <laughs> That's the issue. So, this <laughs> and, whole- and I think there's been uh, actually you say that I think there's been several instances where they have found cars, Tesla S's have been like sitting on the side of the road with the driver is inebriated, and the car like drove them to a certain location and like stopped. Yeah, because there was no response from the person in the driver's seat. Right? Because yeah. was it looking at their eyes or something yeah. like that? And <laughs> I think they, so. Or something yeah. like that. There's yeah. something creepy going yeah. on with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, we don't have Teslas. We can't tell. But. Yeah, so we'll go to the next article here. Uh, this is from Adapt, which is uh, one of those news sources I use because they always have cool, weird uh, EV news. But Tesla will serve te- – I'm sorry. Texas will serve Tesla with search warrants. Uh, April 21st, Texas investigators will serve Tesla with search warrants related to the crash near Houston that killed two occupants. No one was in the driver's seat of the car, first responders said. Reuters. Reuters reported that Tesla was able to examine the data from the crash vehicle, and the company hasn't shared it with investigators. Elon Musk had tweeted that his data showed no autopilot features were online during the crash. This was the 28th Tesla crash to be investigated by the NHTSA. So that moves right on to our next article, because this all just keeps rolling out, kids. KHU. K-H-A-O-U, which I guess is a TV station down there, says that now Tesla and Elon Musk are disputing the fact that that deadly crash was related to autopilot. Tesla says they believe someone was in the driver's seat during the deadly crash, and that happened in the Woodlands earlier this week. Daryl, should we put down odds? I mean, what do you think happened? And maybe I should speak first because I'm going to tell you. Yeah, you got to if, if you talk about – if you talk to the families and listen to what the family said after the initial crash, the families all said – Oh, yeah, he was probably in the back seat because mm-hmm. they all said he would do something. The, the owner of this car basically had been so proud of it, and he was showing off and doing stupid stuff with it. They were absolutely not surprised whatsoever that he might have climbed out of the driver's seat and climbed in the back. Yeah, uh, again, this is a generalization, but I, I, knowing a couple people with Teslas and, and getting the whole uh, dog and pony show when they yeah. get it home, yeah. that's fantastic. But it does take a, a few eccentricities – to be able to just like trust a vehicle to run around, even though it's not. By the way, it's never designed to do that. It's not, it's not designed to just take you to and from work. Uh, at the same time, I don't. How can you hold? Mm, I'm just looking at this from a legal perspective down the road. I'm already yeah. I'm already looking at the lawsuits. The, fu- and the future. The, I have a crystal ball, <laughs> and you can't hold a car company responsible for that. I mean, every new car out there, with I mean, with exception, has things like lane departure, lane. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Lane assist, lane. Sure, sure. Whatever. Uh, you get the little beeping sensor things in your bumpers. All those things are there to help the driver do better. We're at that weird part, and we've talked about this before. We're at that weird part where the machine can't do everything for you, and people are frankly not that smart to realize where their job stops and starts and where the machine can take over. If you buy a Tesla, 
that's fantastic. I love it. That's I'm good for you. You're you're on top of the world. Drive the car. Stop playing around if that's what you're trying to do. Stop showing off. It's just let the car do its thing and let 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 the human being control it for right now. In 20 years, when we have cars that are maybe a little more autonomous, I think we can get to that point where you can show off to all your friends and neighbors how cool you are. But that's bizarre. Yeah. I, I know our salesmen, they do the delivery process in our cars. And you're talking about the even the, the lane departure and stuff on the new cars. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they sign anything or talk to them about, folks, you have to make sure your hands are on the wheel all the time. Because I know just driving the Venza home the other day. I take my hands off the wheel all the time just to see how long I can drive the car. Mm-hmm. It'll drive itself. Mm-hmm. And then I heard there's hacks where you could tie a water bottle or an orange onto the steering wheel, and it makes the car think it's unbalanced so that you must be touching the wheel. And it'll drive itself even further because – Before it yeah, before, intercepts before, it. Yeah. So at that point, what are you reading a book? You're looking at your phone? I mean, what are you doing? It makes it too easy not to pay attention to driving. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're having to do a hack workaround so you don't have to, like, pay attention to the yeah. – 4,000-pound vehicle yeah. you're driving yeah. at 60 miles an hour in a residential area. Hey, and if I'm a Tesla salesman, I'm like, dude, this car will drive itself. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that, right? Yeah, that's a sales fig- sales point. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. It should be interesting to see. I'm, we Don't worry. We'll let you know how the investigation turns out. Yeah, we'll follow up on that. All right, so speaking of things that don't require uh, batteries, ex- I guess they do. <laughs> yeah, everything, everything requires <laughs> everything. this next subject. Gasoline. Uh, 2021 is going to apparently be the summer of gas shortages, according to some analysts here. Oh, it's getting better and better. Yeah, it's good. Locusts, cicadas, you got it. (laughs) Millions of people stuck at home for more than a year are expected to hit the road for much-needed post-pandemic vacations this summer, according to CNN. Good luck finding gas. (laughs) Now that there's a looming shortage of crude oil or gasoline, but rather it's the tanker truck drivers needed to deliver the gas to stations that are in short supply. Uh, according to the National Tank Truck Carriers, the industry's trade group, somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of tank trucks in the fleet in the U.S. are parked heading into the summer due to the uh, paucity, whatever. I, I, I saw that word, and I'm like, how's he going to say it? I don't paucity? know. Paucity? Who's writing this? Uh, of qualified <laughs> drivers. At uh, this point in 2019, only 10 percent of trucks were sitting idle for that same reason. They're dealing with a driver shortage for a while, but the pandemic took that issue and metastasized it, said Ryan Strieblow. Yeah. Executive vice president. Certainly has grown exponentially, and wow, that's just fantastic. So So it wasn't just the tanker sitting in the Suez Canal. Now we have have drivers with paucity in the United States. I've heard that for a long time, though, and I've heard, going back to, like, autonomous stuff, that's been one of the big pushes for autonomous semis is, like, we can't find people who want to drive trucks. I've heard that in in the last five to ten years. Bruh, don't do a job a robot can do. Yeah. Bruh. Yeah, did you I, see? I, you saw that, didn't you? I saw you? that in one of your posts. Yeah. <laughs> Get a job a robot can't do. Yeah. Okay, how about drive a truck? Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I've known people who have recently gone into the, the yeah. over-the-road trucking that's industry. A, I think that's the longshoreman job. Ten years from now, that's the next longshoreman. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean – it definitely there's there's some things that are attractive about it. The pay is usually pretty good, depending on where you're going, who you're driving for, things like that. Uh, but driving a tanker that requires extra endorsement. There's the whole like chance of you know death, and, fiery and stopping death. Stopping at, at railroad tracks, which is annoying. There's yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there's money to be made there, and it's a service that is needed. Uh, at least at, at the very least, right now we're talking about fuel here in this instance. But any kind of 
petroleum product is is hauled on a giant tanker truck. It's not yeah. something that just magically appears. So it's if good. I don't know, how do you recruit those jobs? I know it's going to be tough. I, actually, and we have a listener, I think, uh, actually I have a couple of listeners who are truck drivers, so I, I'm sure that they have a serious thought process on this too. Um, I, I don't think that semis can go fully autonomous probably for a decade at least because I think what you have to do is have dedicated routes that, that don't have other vehicles on there. Right. You know, if you're going to have 20 FedEx trucks running in a row – 10 feet away from each other because they're all using electronics and, and you know, navigation. Yeah. They cannot be around passenger cars that aren't using similar technology. It just, it just can't happen. So. No. And I, I think you throw the things like the tanker into the mix. Yeah. How uh, – and not volatile, but there is that. But uh, how – anything liquid in a, in a truck is going to shift. Yeah. If you've got a FedEx truck and it's filled with, you know – Amazon boxes of the Ronco rotisserie, Showtime rotisserie, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? That thing's just going to bounce around. Yeah. Everything's strapped in there, tethered. You're good to go. A tanker, yeah. there's just so much there. And well, it is imagine, dangerous. We talk about going back to that Suez Canal thing. What yeah. if you have a tanker truck that explodes on an autonomous route that, that handles all the semi-track traffic across the country? Say 80 turns into just an all-autonomous route, yeah. and that route gets stopped. And now right. you can't take autonomous vehicles and like reroute them or do it, you know. Jump in the cab. Oh, and be like, oh, I got it from here. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of questions there. Hijacking. Yeah. What about hey, hey, gas is in short supply. I'm going to go ahead and hijack this computer later truck. <laughs> That's my favorite word now. I'm going to use that computer yeah, yeah. later. Paucity is my favorite word. Paucity. Yeah. What a jerk. Whoever hey, wrote that's a jerk. But speaking of autonomous, <laughs> Daryl, do you remember Neuro? I do. Yeah. I do. We talked about that a while ago. This is going to be the first time and possibly the last time I ever read a press release from Domino's Pizza on this show. <laughs> okay? Domino's and Neuro are launching an autonomous pizza delivery in the off-road robot. Nice. Yes. Nice. Nice. Ann Arbor, Michigan, April 12th. Hello. Domino's, uh, <laughs> the largest pizza company in the world based on global retail sales. I did not know that. So you take that one home hmm. and use that when you go on uh, Jeopardy. The more and, you know. And Neuro, the leading self-driving delivery company, are launching an autonomous pizza delivery vehicle in Houston. Houston making the news a lot today. Beginning this week, select customers who place a prepaid order at dominoes.com on certain days and times from Domino in Woodland Heights located in Houston. On Houston Avenue. I gave the address. I'm not going to get that specific because I don't want all of our fans congregating there. Sorry. <laughs> Can choose to have their pizza delivered to the Neuro R2 robot. The first completely autonomous, occupantless, and road delivery vehicle with a regulatory approval by the U.S. Department of Transportation. This collaboration between Domino's and Neuro's will introduce an entirely new delivery experience to pizza lovers. Here's how it'll work. Select customers will place a prepaid website order from a participating Domino's store and opt to have it ordered delivered by the R2. Customers are selected will receive a text alert, which will update them on the R2's location and provide them with a unique PIN number to retrieve their order. Customers may also track the vehicle via GPS on the confirmation page. Once the R2 arrives, customers will be prompted to enter the PIN number on the bot's touchscreen. R2 doors will open gently upward, revealing the customer's hot domino order. <laughs> <laughs> so you said something in the pre-show about like why this wouldn't work for you. Yeah. If a robot showed up with well, a first, pizza. Well, I, first, I mean, should we give up Patreon knowledge? But yeah, okay. We should. Here's my thing. This is good. If I order a pizza... And, and and if I order any food for that matter, and I order it to my house, uh-huh. I'm ordering it strictly so that I can have a transaction that requires me to open the door four to eight inches, like just big enough to get the pizza through. Yes, yes, <laughs> to hand the credit card or the tip or whatever. Uh-huh. Thanks, dude. Bam, Peace done. Out. Yeah. So now, if I get an alert that says 
Neuro's coming, Neuro's coming to your house in seven or eight minutes. Yeah. And I got to stand by the front door and I'm in my robe. I got my slippers on or whatever. I'm in my skivvies. And I'm like, God, you know, I'm in central Illinois. First off, it might be cold. It might be raining. It might be 300 degrees. You don't know where we're at. And in Houston, it's probably, there's probably locusts swarming you. Probably. So now I got to go, I got to wait for this thing because it's a robot. What if the robot says it can only be there a minute or two and then drives away? So I got to be ready. It's like the ice cream man. I got to chase after this thing. So I get out there by the roadside. Yeah. And now I've already left the house. At that point, I could have went to the friggin' place. I could have gotten in my car. I could have walked in my garage in three steps, gotten in my car, and go through the drive-thru, right? With your slippers. Yes. With your slippers. And I would have had less less opportunity for my neighbors to see me in my robe. So now I'm standing by the side of the road. And now I got to do the touchscreen. And I've dealt with Redbox. So what if I'm dealing with my phone app and I'm like, bam, 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 and it's not opening the up? The code doesn't work. The code doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just like, and, and the neuro's like, beep, 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 you know. And then what if I get frustrated, Daryl? What if I take the neuro and I gently knock on it? What happens? I don't know. Will it, will it be like a, a vending machine? Will it say, you know, no food for you, no pizza for you? It's just, I mean, it's just a red strobe light starts flashing <laughs> and it, it locks. It uh, shields and gauge. And yeah. 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 I don't know. There's a lot of questions. I think, I'd, I think I'd be very frustrated. I think the whole point of me having the food delivered to my house, what if what – if <laughs> There's a lot ne- of potentials here. What if the neuro gets the Honda robot – like gets out. Osimo is that Osimo, what it's Osimo hops on and like walks up, you know, with, with its with its gyroscope self, and like that. <laughs> now that I'd pay extra for. I'd pay double the pizza price if if the Honda robot guy delivered the pizza to my door because it's the a whole show. point. That's a show at that point. <laughs> the whole point was for me not to leave the house. Yeah, and if I got to walk out my driveway. You see my driveway. It's a long driveway. Yeah, exactly. I could have driven to town. You could have driven to Casey's and gotten pizza. <laughs> anyway, I have problems with it. No, no. See, that's and that's interesting too because I've seen – in uh, Jimmy Kimmel had a thing a couple weeks ago where he was – there's a, f- a food delivery robot that has been making the rounds out in L.A. It's like a little one though. It's it? a on, tiny on, thing. on the sidewalks. On the sidewalks. Yeah. And there's it was, it, was a co- it was a collection of videos of people helping the robot when it got off the course or got stuck in grass. Or like, <laughs> they were like picking it up. They were like helping them. And like it it's was like a Roomba. It was, and, but people people had empathy for this food, stupid food delivery robot. It's like, here you go, little guy. It was almost like helping ducklings out of a sewer grate or something. Once the first robot kills somebody, that empathy will be gone. Oh, that thing's toast. Yeah, yeah. R two is Pol- also police robots. Yeah, that's coming. <laughs> Did you see the sixty minutes with the Boston Dynamics robots? Oh, the dogs. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's more coming. Believe okay. believe me. Great. Pizza pizza delivery robots <laughs> sounds like a great idea until one of them goes rogue. Yeah. <laughs> they'll they'll just be using that data too just to help you out with more future per- pizza purchases, right? Exactly. All right. Do the breadsticks come in a separate robot? Is pizza's an R2? Does D2 take, show up? Well, with, here's the deal. They better send those by air. I want a drone to drop off the, the breadsticks. The cinna, cinnaminis or yeah. whatever the hell they call them. <laughs> I ordered these as an appetizer. They're seven minutes late. My pizza just showed up. I, they, got, they came here at the same time, and I don't want my appetizer with my pizza. Anyway. Deploy the wing <laughs> robot. The wings robot. I ordered Buffalo. Anyway. All right, getting. Uh, t- let's just keep it going here with more apps and more things you can do sure. from home. Uh, according to Adapt, again, that uh, cool website I go to every once in a while, it's all about weird autonomous stuff. Lyft is going to offer vehicle maintenance and repair. You know about Lyft, don't you, Daryl? Absolutely. They're like Uber, but not Uber. Yeah, yeah, kind of. They're, they're, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Created by some college students, like in a college town. I think Lyft was a uh, 
a thing to get college kids to school. Anyway, Lyft will launch an app-based service for drivers to get service from company's own network of mobile techs and shops. S-Live reports that the service, Lyft Auto Care, started as a network for Lyft drivers, but now is available for all drivers. A mobile technician could be ordered for maintenance items like oil changes, tire rotations, and brake checks. A visit to the Lyft Drive Center would be needed for collision repair or mechanical repairs. And according to the story, pricing is shown up front, and the customers can order the service you know, right there on their on their app. Neat. Um, I think this is. Uh, I mean, I, we've been dabbling. Every every manufacturer's dabbling with this. Customers have no loyalty, and a lot of times it comes to service. You know, they'll just their car is telling them they need service, and if it's not convenient, I'm going to call Lyft. Of course, Lyft is a trusted name. Uber be a trusted name. Amazon would be a trusted name. Where yeah. you just call yeah. up and say, "Get the oil change done." I mean, how many times now do you see the joke about Amazon trusted oil? You know, nobody cares. Is it all about meeting the consumer where they where they live? You know, uh, years ago, if you had a busted windshield, you had to set an appointment, take a day off work, go drop the car off, get a loaner, get whatever. Uh, nowadays, it's like, oh, where do you work? Okay, uh, park in the upper park of, of the parking deck, and uh, safe light guy will be I, out there. I would agree. That's the way most people want it. There's still people who drop them off at like our place. They have your glass guy do it. Yeah, I think they're fewer and far between. But we're going to get that point where it, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to uh, disrupt my schedule, my routine. You come to me and do the service. What does that mean for places that have all the overhead, like a shop and lifts and uh, electric and you know? I mean, that's you a huge still. Concern. I mean, just just like it said there, though, you can't do everything in somebody's driveway. And one of the concerns we always have when we talk about this stuff, and this is always the one that comes up, is EPA. You know, if you send a, if you send a vehicle out. And it gets it, and you have an accident, and the oil spills out on the road. Yeah, collected oil in a battery or something like that, and you get battery acid on the pavement or oil, you know, recycled oil on the pavement. You're dealing with EPA fines, possibly. It could be you know ten or twenty thousand dollars. So now you got to have an insurance policy rider on that, and uh, you know, it maybe it's just easier to drag the car back to your store where you have everything self-contained. You don't have to worry about this stuff. So until until laws become friendlier for this type of service, I don't think it's going to be mainstream, but it's definitely going to be something customers are going to expect. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, there's there's something to be said for convenience. And I could see the mobile I, – I was just driving through the Heights the other day, and I saw a guy with a, a, a big Ford van, and he had a pressure washer in the back, and he was pressure washing a car. Uh, it was in a parking lot next to uh, Tresker's Bakery, and it had a big sign on the van that says, like, so-and-so mobile detailing service or oh, something. And yeah. I'm like, well, okay, all right. That, and I know that's not a revolutionary new idea, but it was the first time I've actually seen that out in public. So in Peoria, don't you pay for your water you use or you dispose of? Uh, it's for property owners. You there's a stormwater in the city where there's a, a, a stormwater runoff tax. So how does this guy get around that spraying water all over the place in your runoff? That's a good. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. But I think there's probably some loophole. I don't know. Yeah, probably not. There's probably he's probably getting away with it until somebody reports him. That's you know. Oh, you're putting water in our drains. Right. Then you need to pay the tax. Oh, you need to pony up some of your money. Yeah, the tax. We got to tax everything. Yeah, it's like the British. That's true. Yeah, we're That's getting true. there. Anyway, all right, you ready for this, Daryl? What time is it, Eric? It's time for your moment of must. Tesla owners. Tesla owners online. I don't know if you're aware of this Twitter account, Daryl, but there, no, no. there are rabid fans of the Tesla. And uh, there's a group called Tesla Owners Online. And what they did a couple weeks ago is they said, Elon, it looks like the factory is coming along great. 
what's going on with it? When are we going to get the Tesla truck? Because the Tesla truck, you know, is going to be out in 2021. Yeah. And so the exact quote from Tesla's uh, owners online was, looks great. The factory's coming along. Still uh, on time for deliveries later this year. Elon responded to these folks because Elon, you know, is tight with his customers. He says, limited production of the Y this year, higher volume next year. Well, that doesn't mention the Tesla truck anywhere in it, and that caused a row. So Elon has not committed to having the Tesla truck out in 2021. And that's kind of how the cookie crumbles. That is your moment of lust. Oh, he's a shyster. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Um, evasive. He is evasive. I think another great place possibly to talk to Elon about the Tesla truck might be Saturday Night Live. What's going on? Yeah, my wife taught, uh, told me about this. I, I had no let's, idea. Let's, let's pause. Yeah, yeah. Mini Elon Musk. Yes, the mini one. Uh, Elon Musk apparently is actually uh, hosting Saturday Night Live <laughs> on May be, 8th. This is going to be great, by the way. Set your, set your watch to this one. Yeah. May 8th. And apparently the cast hates him. <laughs> Already, they've been in rehearsal. SNL usually rehearses with the guests, you know, like the week ahead or whatever. Uh, in a surprise move over the weekend, SNL announced that the business mogul, uh, Mr. Musk, will be hosting the NBC Variety <laughs> Show, and a lot of the cast members don't seem real excited about it. In, in Instagram, uh, cast member Bowen Yang, who, by the way, one of the funnier ones, uh, not that many funny people on there anymore, but Bowen Yang's kind of funny. He wrote on Twitter, quote, what the F does this even mean? <laughs> Unquote. As a caption to Musk's tweet over the weekend, which read, Let's find out just how live Saturday Night Live really is. Wow, wow. Well, they got an eight second delay, so they're going to delay whatever yeah, stupid what, stuff he what says. What level of douchery can he get? He's probably going to pimp Dogecoin. I got to get my Dogecoin going before the Saturday Night Live. Yeah, really. Uh, Andrew Demuke, another cast member, don't know who the hell that is, uh, also took to Instagram and apparently addressed the choice. He wrote the quote, Only CEO I want to do a sketch with is Sherry O. Terry. Oh, C get it? CEO. CEO. I would agree. Sherry O'Terry had some great skits on SNL. Phenomenal. She was, she was amazing. She popped up the last two New Year's on, like, uh, I don't know if it was, like, ABC or Dick something. Dick Clark. I think she was on Dick Clark. I think I remember that. She showed well, up as Dick, Barbara Dick's Wallace. dead, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Seacrest thing. Yeah. She was hilarious. I'm like, where has she been all these years? She's still funny. She's yeah. great. But anyways, anyways, NBC not commenting on CNN's uh, request for comment on that story. And I actually looked up Bowen Yang's Twitter. I was going to actually do a screenshot. Yeah, what happened here? here? What's that? Uh, that, that? That Twitter account is no longer there. It's Uh-oh. gone. The account did, doesn't exist. Did the uh, the kids from Tesla owners online maybe hack it? They either hacked it or he probably got, sh- you know, death threats or something and just <laughs> and, and petered out. It's unfortunate. How would you like to have – that's the sweetest gig for any comedian, improv comic, right? SNL. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how would you like to have – there's probably some hosts that you're like, oh, yeah, not my favorite, but I guess I'll do a show again with uh, – I don't know. I'm trying to think. Who's well, hosted? The, the ones Justin that, Bieber. The, or, the perennials? I mean the perennials are Steve Martin, John Goodman, Baldwin. Tom Hanks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's some in that rotation, or even like the 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 you know flavor of the month. Aquafina was on last year, and I'm like, eh. but yeah. she actually impressed me. I liked her more than I thought. But yeah, some of the guests come on there, and you're like, this isn't my favorite. But like to have a, a CEO of of Tesla come on there and be like, this I, is. I think the last CEO I could think of, and we talked about this pre-show, was uh, Donald Trump, and I I enjoyed the Donald Trump episodes because it was because fun. Back in the day, he could take a joke. Yeah. He could make fun of himself. And they put him in some skits that made him look completely nonsensical. And you know what? 
It was a riot. It worked. Yeah. And at the time, he was doing the NBC show, so he's, he was familiar probably with most of those people yeah. Uh, yeah. around Rockefeller Center. He'd been used to having people on cameras in his face, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that part was funny. We were also thinking of some other CEOs who might make good uh, guests for SNL. We couldn't think of any new ones. No, Jeff Bezos. Uh, here's what's going to happen. Bezos is going to want this gig now after Musk gets on there. Yeah. And he, it, it would be the worst. S- I, I, it, assuming this one isn't a train wreck. There's going to be think, competition I now? think Bezos would be the bigger train wreck. That yeah. guy doesn't have a comedic bone in his body. I still wish uh, – what's the guy from T-Mobile? John Legere or whatever yeah. who did Slow Cooker Sundays? Great series by the way. Yeah. That was another one. A friend that, of mine and I was working for T-Mobile. He's, he used to work for T-Mobile, and uh, yeah, he swears they're a great one of the greatest companies to work for. Yeah, he yeah. should be. Check out Slow Cooker Sundays. Anyways, he should be on SNL. Right. I don't know. That's probably not even CEO anymore. I don't even know. I don't know. But you know what that was? Mini Nice. I like that. Uh, do you want to skip grinding of the gears? This one's pretty lame. All right. Well, that's up to you, bud, because we can move right to the cars of the week. Nothing. I just I'll condense it. I'll all do right. a condensed all right, version. All right. Basically, just says. All the posts that people put the on one, Facebook, yeah, yeah. one, two, three, four. I'm like, what is that? Well, Facebook won't let me put the real price of this car. They ad. won't. Will they not? No, they. I actually found this out. It's not necessarily with the older stuff because they don't really have anything to value that on. They use like some sort of algorithm that like talks to like uh, Edmonds, like auction results. Car, uh, what the heck did I even? So put here? if you had a if cars. You had a challenger that you like modded out or something like that. Let's say yeah. you had Kevin Hart's Challenger. Yeah, like a 2015 and, Challenger or something like and that. And you just loaded the thing up and you had a thousand horsepower at the wheels and you wanted seventy five thousand for it. Yeah. What happens when you put that ad in Facebook Marketplace for your vehicle? It actually will like. Uh, put I the see the range thing. Yeah, you have the range like cars. Average for this rate or whatever. Um, if you put it too crazy high or too crazy low, it actually puts this like red, like uh, almost like you know you gray out the field and you can't you yeah. can't submit it. Okay, it puts this little red thing in there. It's like you need to adjust your price accordingly. It really? won't let you put it in there. Yeah, it sucks. So what happens is people do the workaround where they do like it's one two three four, yeah, yeah. or they put like eight thousand eighty five hundred. And then you click in the ad. It's like I really want eighty five thousand for my Bronco, or you know, it's something stupid. Yeah. What that does is it just first of all it ticks off the user, and it also ticks off the people who are searching for things, specifically custom older cars, things like that, where they they don't know the true price, so they're sorting by price and regions, and yep. you know, no, zip right. code. They get into there and they're like, oh well, this jerk. I mean, we're not even close. So I don't know. Facebook sucks that way. I wish the marketplace was a little bit better. I, I haven't had any issues with that, but I know um, a lot of people who have been selling stuff recently have. I think they've gotten worse. I don't know, like I said, if they're pulling auction results or they're doing – Yeah, I don't know. I think they I think they thought, how can they control the market on the pricing? I mean, people are going to put whatever they want on there, so right. it's asinine anyway. Yeah. No, it's just stupid. Stupid stuff that I keep coming off. Uh, no. I'd love to hear from somebody who has had uh, a experience like that with Facebook and just kind of said, you know what, screw this, and maybe gone to, back to Craigslist or some other place. It's a good grind, Daryl. Good grind. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so now we move into Cars of the Week. Everybody knows what Cars of the Week is. That's where Daryl and I – we're going to buy a car. We dream about this car. We fantasize. We chat back and forth and send pictures of these cars to each other. Maybe even sometimes include a third party. It's a three-way on some wild internet cars. True. And then we all talk about the reasons why we wouldn't get it because maybe it's too far of a drive or maybe the body's too beat up or that price isn't right. But you know what? We wanted it. And that's what this segment's all about. Daryl, you got one you wanted here. Yeah. It says, it says Amarillo. I don't even know what that means. It's quite disgusting. And I didn't even know this was a trim series. But uh, <laughs> so, so this one, I don't know if I picked it. Did one of us pick an El Camino before? I'm, 
I, I think, think I so. might have did an SS El Camino one time. Maybe like early on. Yeah, yeah. So there is a soft spot. N- no really big part of me wants to buy an El Camino or a, mar- a Ranchero. <laughs> but there, there's part of me that's like, that's kind of cool in a weird way. Yeah. I think that's everybody. Everybody looks at those and they're like, that That would never happen again in a million years. And in 1983, there was a, a, a GMC Caballero, which was basically a Chevy El Camino. Based on the Malibu, it's basically a Malibu station wagon. They just lop off the back and turn it into an El Camino. Uh, GMC started doing an El Camino, I guess, what would you call it, like a sister car? Uh, uh, in 1972, I believe, was the first year, and they called it the Sprint. And it looked very much like the Chevelle, had a little extra trim. And frankly, a lot of those turned out a little nicer. They, they were kind of a more upscale version of the El Camino. They didn't always sell very well. In fact, I wondered why they even made them because they were a car and they looked like uh, they looked like a Chevelle, but it's got a GMC sticker on it. Anyways, they produced those all the way up to like 1985, 86, 7, something like that. So in 1983, some gentleman in Wichita, Kansas ordered this thing and they checked all the option boxes. <laughs> so they went into their dealership and they said, you know, give me one of those GMC. They back, changed Back the when you could do that. Back when you can order custom stuff. Uh, GMC changed from the Sprint to what they call the Caballero at some point in like late 70s, early 80s. I'm not sure when. But at that period of time, you could order one in the Amarillo package, which was almost like the Silverado. It was this like it was a trim and decor package. So yeah. you got like different rims. You got all this stainless trim. The interior had all these like nice little bells and whistles. And you could, for the engine, I think they came standard at that time with a 4.3 V6. Then you could get, I believe, a 305 V8. And then in 83, GM was doing the whole, we're making diesel cars thing. That's right. And they had an old 350 diesel as an option. And I'm sure nobody got them. A V8 diesel. Yeah. I mean, what do you do with all that power? Well, in this car, nothing. Because (laughs) most of those, frankly, didn't run that great uh, unless they had some updates after the fact because they had a whole big problem with those. Uh, that's a whole other story. But anyways, this thing, super low mileage. I think it had like 38,000 miles, something like that. Midnight blue with a light blue top, midnight blue tonneau cover, beautiful cloth velour kind of interior. And it was just a beautifully well-kept car that was like unicorn. And I can't think there's probably more than maybe like 50 of these ones made with that option and all that trim. Grandpa spec, super cool car. It was on Craigslist, and Jalopnik picked it up because they're like, okay, so that that that's how I found it. So yeah, say Jalopnik. Did they uh, like throw this out there and you like? Yeah, they did. Like the whole uh, was it nice price or crack pipe? Where they're like, <laughs> the guy was asking twelve thousand dollars, and everyone's like, that's crazy, that's crazy. And then there's like this small group of people like, I will pay whatever this man asks. And by the so I found that this morning, and then by this afternoon. That post hit. It, I believe the car sold. It broke it. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Right. What is the way to Amarillo? Do you know the way to Amarillo by Tony Christie? No. Oh. This is a. Pretty, uh, it, oh, they're older. Maybe older. <laughs> I gotta play it because I, every time I hear the word Amarillo, it sounds like Neil Diamond. It does. Not stopping this till we get the to get the chorus. I've never heard this. Oh, 
This is it. Here it comes. What's in that pillow? But Marie, who waits for me. What rhymes with Amarillo? Pillow? <laughs> Use it. It just made it. Yeah, I think that's a contemporary of uh, Tom Jones. But anyway, uh, the way to Amarillo. So yeah, I saw the Amarillo edition. All I could think of was Tony Christie and the way to Amarillo, which now all of our fans have heard, and they've probably never heard that song before ever in their life. I, I'm very glad you shared that with everybody because yeah. I feel like a whole new door is opened. The, the, wor- the worst the part about this shut. is now we we, we crescendoed at the fact that you have a vehicle you chose that has a theme song, and yeah. my car does not have a theme song. So so without much anticipation, I, I could try to find a theme song. What do you got picked for this week? It's got to be better than what I just said. All right. So I, this was one of those cars that got caught in a th- three-way this last week. I sent a picture. It was on uh, – I don't even know how I got on this car. I certainly wasn't cruising Jalopnik or anything like that. I somehow searched the term Previa in Facebook Marketplace. Somehow? Somehow. Like, I, I, my I, hands just slipped. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> the, P, the P-R-E-V-I-A. Yeah. Somehow it like randomly jumbled themselves under Damn my keyboard. Auto correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I found myself looking for a Previa, and I thought, well, let's just see if there's any Previas around. Because somebody said something anyway. What do I find? I find a Previa uh, 1995 supercharged LE up in Chicago, and it's – the nice one, folks. It's got the limousine seating in the back. It's got the full sunroof in the back. So it has a sunroof in the front and a sunroof in the back. It's like a limousine sunroof. These cars are pretty cool. Now, the body's rough. It looks like it's at a Chinese restaurant. It's got some like weird fog lights on it. And the guy says, you know, kind of rough. But he wants $3,000 firm. Okay. What's the, what's the going rate for a Previa in decent I, you shape? Know, you know what's funny, Daryl? I've never really checked. No. <laughs> I bet you will tonight. But here's the deal with that thing. The the, the fact that you could take the second row seats and spin them around so they're looking at the third row, that to me was pretty cool. Now, back in the day, the Previa was only one slider door. You didn't have both sides. Oh, okay. So yeah. if you're in a fiery crash, you can only get out one side back there. But that's okay. You could smash out the uh, limousine sunroof if you had to. Right, exactly. The other problem I have with the Previa is I watched the offset crash one time <laughs> online. And that's all I had to watch, that one time. I don't know if you're aware of this, Daryl, but when the driver's wheel comes jutting through the floorboard (laughs) (laughs) near the driver's seat, you sometimes lose a leg. So uh, that's why the Previa never really caught on with me and my family. Not optimal. No. I mean, if I'm doing it, I'm driving it. I'm taking it like a man. I mean, I think it's kind of like Russian roulette. It's like, you know, I'm I'm going to spin the barrel and, you know, odds are probably going to be okay. But if I hit the wrong chamber, probably going to die. Yeah, I mean that's you're, you're taking your lives in your hands. Anytime, look at the old VW buses. The yeah. same way though, oh, you yeah. were so far forward, so far front of the axle that it was like, well, I guess I'm, uh, this is it. This is it. <laughs> uh, say a few hail marys before you leave the house, and, yeah. and you're good. Yeah. But at the same time, that that vehicle was was kind of a radical departure from any previous van that anybody came out yeah, with. Yeah, I think in 1991 is when that vehicle came out. And I, and I would love to go back in a time machine to see what people were saying about that van when it first came out because it had to be the most radical thing. The Calty design team, I think, may have had something to do with that. They were doing a lot of rounded body designs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the, the, the generation of Celicas I fell in love with, the, that generation of Supra. You know, those cars yes. were all swoopy and had just had these lines that auto manufacturers weren't doing at that time. A lot harder to press metal and rounded edges than it was a lot of squares. So the uh, Previa was certainly odd, but they called it the egg. 
as I were, when I was a kid, it was like the yeah. egg van. Yeah. And they were expensive. I remember when I sold them back in 96, one of the last years you could get them, uh, they were hands down seven or $8,000 more than a, a comparable domestic van. And they didn't have all the features, didn't have the dual slider doors. Uh, they had a four-cylinder. They didn't have a V6. There was a lot of things about those vans that were, you know, they, they just didn't work. But uh, realistically, when you look back and you see these vehicles on the road, they're half-million-mile vehicles all day long. Easily. It's crazy. Four-cylinder, supercharged, all-wheel drive, half-million miles. How did they do it? I yeah. can't explain it. It's like a magic vehicle. Seems like the only thing here in the Midwest, at least, and you know, your mileage may vary depending on what part of the country you live in, seems like the only things that took those out was the rust. Yeah. Any kind of st- structural under, you know, yeah. 20 years of salt or something like that. But mechanically, even the interiors, whatever they made, I don't know, Kevlar? I don't know what they made the seats out of. <laughs> I've seen some stuff come yeah. in, and uh, I've seen them on used car lots. And I'm like, oh, it's a Previa, and I go yeah. look at it. And yeah, 310,000 miles yeah. on it. And the interior looks like it's four years well, old. Well, because it was, it was half vinyl and half, like, hard plastic. I mean, they, there was nothing... It was. I want to say it was like industrial, but yeah, they ma- they made the stuff to last. I mean, they must have known American kids were filthy or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to the, all the abuse that the average American minivan <laughs> deals Dude, the with. The center consoles were hilarious. I mean, the the dash. I don't know if you remember. They had like this swoopy round. It was almost like a. It's like when you go to a pool bar and <laughs> yeah. like all formed, like you know, so you just swim up to the edge there, it's, you know, and have your drink. That's literally what the dashboard looked like at a Previa, the pool bar edge, super contoured, yeah. and also kind of a trendsetter when it comes to like the the panoramic or like the the, the glass roof. Yeah, you know, that was nobody that was, had nobody had that. Back nobody then. did. It yeah. was like the people in the back seat didn't exist. Oh, you want air conditioning vents? You want some HVAC? You you want to see the outside world? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Toyota started doing that before. The only other car I knew, the van, uh, minivan, I should say, that had any kind of creature comforts in the back was when the Ford Aerostar came out. They actually had a friend of my dad's had one of those, and I remember they had aux jacks and radio controls in the middle, yeah, in, that, in yeah. that one side. Um, but that was the only one that the Toyota took it up a notch. The, the other thing that Previa had was the uh, third row, third row folded. So back then, nobody figured out how to make. Seats that like recessed into the into the, into the body. Yeah. I mean that that van sat pretty high, but what they did is they folded the the third row into the side, so you still had that capacity there. Yeah. Uh, so that was progressive too, I think, at the time. Really neat vehicles, and it, when you see a nice one pop up, I guarantee it's probably more than three grand. But yeah, uh, I, I'm going to be keeping an eye out. I might be searching for Previa's now. Oh just God, no! You, I just can't imagine. Although showing up to cars and coffee, Bryant lights with a Previa. Would be the How dope qu- would that be? Would be the equivalent of Bork, yeah. I, I think. It's one of those things where, as a kid, you they were you saw a few of them. Yeah. They were quirky. They are different. Yeah. And then they disappear. I see I see two Scots driving in a car hundreds and hundreds of miles, and then Mr. Scott getting in the car going, I don't fit in this. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> My aunt had one. I I'll, I'll take that back. They did accommodate a lot of people. I think, that, yeah, they they weren't picky on size. I mean, they're they're pretty big. Yeah, they're decent. My my aunt had one. Of course, I was in like high school or something when I last rode in that thing. But I just I remember it being spacious, and I remember liking the captain's chairs, like in the in the middle, because yeah. my brother and I had a we grew up in like <laughs> Astro vans, but had two big benches. Yeah. Yep, yep. And we never got the captain's chairs, and I always thought like, ooh, this is I made it now. I got captain's chairs. Oh shoot! All right. I think we got to kill this show, Daryl. All right. Kill it with fire. Folks, you have made it to the end of another amazing episode of Throwing Wrenches Podcast. Of course, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for our Patreon subscribers or those two amazing sponsors we have, Fort Toyota Pekin and the Casey Law Office and Arena 309. So make sure you patronize those folks. 
uh, send us your iTunes reviews. We will definitely uh, read those on the air, and we'll send you a sticker. You know you want that sticker so you can show it with pride. Um, Absolutely. And you can also keep in touch with us, info at thrownwrenches.com, the old-fashioned email way. We love hearing from folks there, too. Or if you know somebody who might be a good guest on the show, we're getting to that point here where things are opening back up a little safer here and there, and uh, we'd love to talk to some folks. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.